Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline studio. Uh, 18 stories about beautiful downtown Chicago. We're here until 4 o'clock. 312-981-7200 is our phone number. Uh, Coming up after midnight, our good buddy Dan Feinberg is going to join us. He uh, joins us um, uh, usually uh, every two weeks to talk about uh, TV. Lots of TV to talk about. It's been a while since we've had Dan on. I was off for a couple of weeks and uh, he hasn't been on with us, so we're going to have him on. Uh, he's a TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter. You can follow him at The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. Lots of TV to talk about, and if you want to jump in with your TV questions or anything like that, he'll be on after midnight at 312-981-7200. Uh, coming up later on, we always have some classic Johnny Carson. You can watch the Johnny Carson show every uh, every night on uh, Antenna TV, and it's awesome. So we always play some classic Carson. Listen, man, Rodney. That's all I'm saying. Rodney Dangerfield is what we're going to play back from 1979. Uh, we're going to talk about some identical twins. There's an interesting story. Identical twins got married. Identical twins are both pregnant. So it's a, an identical... The the, fem- the women were identical twins, and the two guys were identical twins, and they're both, uh, both couples are pregnant. <laughs> but we're going to talk about wild facts about identical twins. And if you're a twin, we, wanna, we would love to hear from you. Uh, completely pointless inventions we're going to talk about. Uh, uh, strangest questions realtors have ever been asked, and there's a Texas uh, guy, in, uh, a realtor in Texas, who is using Bigfoot to sell houses, or Daryl, as he likes to be called. Um, so we also have some ridiculous job titles as well. And that's all coming up right here on 720 WGN. We would love to hear from you. Uh, 312-981-7200. Um, my guest right now is Dr. Mark Nelson. He is the... Uh, the uh, founding director of the Institute of Ecotechnics, um, and uh, he's worked on uh, ecological systems research and ecological engineering, um, and he was in um, the uh, biosphere. He actually uh, spent uh, some time, uh, in, in, there's a book called, uh, he's a co-author of a book called Life Under Glass, and was actually inside a biosphere for a couple of years, uh, Biosphere 2. And uh, let's talk with uh, Dr. Mark Nelson. Hi, Mark. How are you? Doing well. Thank you for Glad joining to be me. With you, Nick. Yeah, I'm, uh, I appreciate yeah. it. I appreciate it. Tell me a little bit about uh, about your background. How you got into the uh, uh, eco techniques that we were, we're talking about? Oh, I was a typical New York City kid, you know, looking for adventure, trying to figure out what the big world was about. Yeah. So after doing my dutiful, you know, schooling, university studies, got a lucky break meeting some really interesting people who were, you know, deciding to do ecological projects, theater and enterprise out in, to me, mystically weird uh, New Mexico, <laughs> which is where I'm speaking to you from uh, now. Okay. Oh, and I was, I was 22 years old and the, the world was, I don't think it was my oyster. I had no idea what the world was all about, but I was ready for something different. And, uh, 
this group was uh, terminally interesting and terminally deciding to change things on a small and hopefully large scale. And that's how you got involved? That's how I got involved. Yeah. I drove my brother, B.W. Bug, out <laughs> here, you know, from New York City. You drove Never you drove really a, you drove a VW bug from New York to New Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> that must had, have been that must two have been people in there. A friend who was on a uh you know trying to evade the cops from a marijuana bust in Vermont <laughs> off to seek some fairly dubious uh pseudo Tibetan guru and a woman I can't remember why she was in the car. <laughs> and you know personally I was uh, under the I was still under the, uh, what's the word, the hanging doom of being drafted into the Vietnam War. Oh, sure. So I figured if New Mexico didn't work out, I'd go to Canada or Mexico and, you know, avoid having to go over and kill people that I had no reason killing. So, uh, but then you ended up uh, in uh, in New Mexico. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey. It's, it sounds like a fun, but I just, I'm just trying to picture, how did you get, how did you fit two people in a VW bug with you? Um, there is a back seat. Oh, recall. Is it, okay. you know, I mean, it was, it was, it, you know, I think we we're so poor. I can't remember. I think we just rolled out sleeping bags on our way over. Roll the, uh, the, what, what are those, uh, Chinese sticks called? The only time I ever did it, and it, and my role kept on saying, go southwest, go southwest. So it was kind of a good open, even though I don't believe in, in stuff, new age stuff like that. <laughs> okay, listen, Mark, hang on, okay? Sure. All right, Dr. Mark, Nel- Dr. Mark Nelson is with us. Already hilarious stories here. Uh, great stuff. Uh, he's a founding director of the Institute of Ecotechnics, and we're going to talk about that. Plus, Life Under Glass is his new book. And uh, he spent uh, uh, two years in the biosphere too, so uh, it's, that should be really interesting to see. You know, they had to sustain their own life and grow food and all kinds of stuff uh, in the biosphere. So we'll talk about what that experience was like with Dr. Mark Nelson. It's Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. We're coming up on a uh, Thursday morning, Wednesday night into Thursday morning here. Uh, 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Uh, Dr. Mark Nelson is my guest. He is the founding director of the Institute of uh, Ecotechnics uh, and uh, co-author of the book Life Under Glass. Spent a couple of years in the biosphere, too. And we want to get all that. uh, What was that like? Uh, uh, Mark, welcome back. Good to be back. Tell me about the Institute of uh, Ecotechnics. Yeah, well, we started work, uh, as I was mentioning, on this, uh, oh, typically degraded, uh, you know, what can I say? In 50 years, humans had unraveled what nature had done in millennium. So, So we started an ecological project of trying to make an oasis in the desert. And so, strangely enough, I was put in charge of gardens and trees, although I knew um, 
Oh, I'd say nothing about either. <laughs> but, you know, we, we believe in the Institute uh, setting goals, you know, workable goals. You know, you, you know, you set them increasingly difficult as you start to learn something. You know, but the, the idea was to make an oasis and re- reverse desertification. And unfortunately, you know, people who've studied this issue say that the footprints of human civilization are usually deserts left in our wake. So we wanted to roll the ball uphill and see if having a intensive group of people living in community, doing various artisan and other handicraft and enterprises, and uh, making use of the resources in an intelligent way, whether we could make this, uh, you know, much more of a green and pleasant land than than we inherited. Mm. How many people are a part of the Institute? Oh, less than 50, I would say. Mm-hmm. And so you, we're, we're yeah. small, but, you know, we, we take on challenges. So, you know, in the decade after, you know, so I came to New Mexico Synergy Ranch, especially for people who have seen or will see Spaceship Earth, which I recommend as a wonderful documentary about Bias for Two and kind of the backstory of uh, us innovators who uh, were behind Bias for Two. And uh, and so how long has the Institute been around? Uh, we founded it in 1973. It's now registered in the U.K. and the U.S. Wow. Yeah, I, I kind of left people hanging there. So in the <laughs> in the decade or 15 years after we began here in New Mexico, we we uh, started a number of innovative projects in places where conventional approaches don't work, and there's you know where there's ecological crisis, there's usually also a human cultural one. So we we started a project in the outback of Australia, up in the northwest West Australia. In Puerto Rico to work in tropical rainforests, we built a research ship, the Heraclitus, which uh, you know has been sailing for forty years, doing really interesting research around the planet. A, a uh, Mediterranean base in France, where we held a lot of our conferences, and because we're modern ecologists, you can't ignore cities. Our our World City Project is in London. It's a it's a art gallery and a place where science and art can commingle. Wow, boy, that's about that's you you have been keeping busy, Mark. Well, you know this this is the work of a whole group of people. Yeah, I I I spent a decade, you know, learning my ecology. You know, being not only a tree hugger but a tree planter, a soil builder. You know, so we we planted over a thousand trees here in New Mexico. Did a a vast soil building project, and I'm not a big racetrack guy, but you know there was a short lived racetrack about ten miles from the ranch. Say that we can't, Mark. Mark WGA. Yeah, you affiliates. Yeah, we we did, we did. Yeah, you can't say that on the air, Mark. So you know, I you know after bias for two. By the way, Nick, I have to tell you this. Uh, I was in charge of the sewage system, and what a kick for a New York City kid. I was in charge of the sewage system of a small world, bias for two. 
But, it, you know, the trick was it was a beautiful uh, sewage system. It was a constructed wetland with these beautiful, you know, wetland plants and frogs and ladybirds, ladybugs, you know, and other beneficial insects. And, you know, we cut the vegetation, fed it to our domestic animals and got, you know, more nutrition for, you know, from our farm as a result. So, so I went into and we... I called my system Wastewater Gardens. And when I was promoting a book I wrote in 2014, The Wastewater Gardener, and you'll love the subtitle, Preserving the Planet One Flush at a Time. (laughs) I did a lot of NPR interviews, and I couldn't believe it. They said, you cannot say that word. Yeah, you can't. You cannot say that word. So we had to talk about doo-doo, and caca, mm-hmm. and do all these infantile things. Yep, yep. I guess the, the taboo still exists. So. It, it does. It absolutely does. So, <laughs> uh, so this was back now. When you, you when, think we're on a tape delay? No, well, we're not actually, but that's okay. <laughs> Oh, how did how did you guys? How did your engineers catch that? Thing? Well, it was my producer caught it. We have a seven second delay. Oh, you. Yeah, too. Yeah, have a delay. we have a seven second delay, okay. and so, uh, but he hit he hit the we we call it the dump button. He hit the dump button, and we caught it in time. So just let's not let's not challenge the dump button anymore uh, during the interview, Mark. No, we, we're not going to do that. Okay, all right. So uh, the Institute for uh, Ecotechnics, boy, you, I mean, you know, you said it was less than fifty people involved, but that's all. You, you know, doing stuff all around the globe like that with just like around fifty people—that's incredible. It really is. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I think one of the lessons that people would get if they, you know, pick up that copy of the book we are shamelessly promoting, it's a second edition of Life Under Glass, Mm -hmm. and it catches the drama of the story because I wrote it with two of the other, we call ourselves biospherians, because we were people living in in a small world. You know, the drama of that two-year experiment, which was just the opening salvo in what we hoped would be a hundred-year experiment. You know, don't ever estimate what a small group of committed people, you know, not committed to institutions, <laughs> committed to committed to worthwhile goals, goals who are aligned, you know, what, what you can do. You know, and I, I think there's a lot of lessons in that. I think, you know, when when institutions and structures become too large, they tend to kind of become part of the problem rather than the solution. So we've always operated, and, you know, for us, it was all very strange that Bias for Two caught the world's imagination and became this very high-profile, super media covered for its, uh, for its good and bad. The good was that we got our message out to a lot of people, the bad was that we got trivialized, demonized, and, you know, we were pretty radical and revolutionary, although we downplayed it at the time. Yeah. And I think Bystro 2 was a, was a threat. I, you know, the only thing that, if I had to do it all over, I would say we should have built Bystro 2 maybe yesterday or last year. Mm-hmm. Because the world is really caught up with what we were concerned about uh, in Bystro 2. So to go back to, and, and you know, look, it wasn't an accidental name, Institute of Ecotechnics. And our great insight, and we weren't the only people to have it, but 
It was before Ecotechnics became a breakfast cereal and a <laughs> way to sell cars or whatever. Right, right. You know, was that? You know, the fundamental issue in the planet is that. Oh, here are we humans, and you know we're you know we're genius people. I mean, I love I love you know my fellow men and women. You know, we're quite an extraordinary species, but you know we have a, a bent for inventing technology. And so, you know, we've been madly at it since the Industrial Revolution, even before, but it's really accelerated. And we have no idea what we're doing. And we have no idea the ecological and biospheric context in which we unleash all these synthetic chemicals and technologies. And we kind of look in somewhat horror at the, you know, at the, what's, what's the word, unexpected consequences of our actions. So, so we said, let, let's make an institute where we try to put our focus on making a much better relationship between human needs and technology and the surrounding ecosystems. Mm. Is there a website that, uh, that people can look up for the Institute? Yeah, it, it's uh, very simply, you know, the usual HTTP, www, but you hardly even need that. It's echotechnics.edu. Echotechnics.edu, and that's yeah. uh, e- and that and that'll get links to our various projects around the world. And you know, we've had the great fun of uh, inviting leading scientists and engineers and artists together. We've held probably thirty conferences since we began in the mid seventies. Yeah, and this is you know b- both for the education of our members and also to meet our heroes. And we were naive enough, I'm still naive enough, to, you know, wonder why do we keep artists and scientists separate? Why do we keep engineers and ecologists and artists separate? Yeah. You know, that we're all involved in the same endeavor of figuring out how to live on planet Earth. Yeah. All right. Listen, Mark, hold on, okay? All right. All right. Dr. Mark Nelson is with us. Fascinating stuff. And we're going to talk all about what it was like to spend two years in the biosphere, too. Um, and uh, there's a, a, a film uh, documentary called Spaceship Earth that you can check out, and also a book called Life Under Glass, of which Dr. Mark Nelson is the co-author. Uh, more, we'll jump into what was what it was like to be part of the biosphere, too, and much more with Dr. Mark Nelson. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. It's Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. Hey, Nick DiGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio. We're here until 4 o'clock. We're uh, coming up on a Thursday morning. Uh, after midnight, our good friend Dan Feinberg is going to join us, TV critic from The Hollywood Reporter. Usually joins us every couple of weeks to talk about uh, TV, and we got a lot of TV to talk about, and he'll be coming up after midnight. 312-981-7200. That's our phone number if you would like to join us. My guest right now is Dr. Mark Nelson. He's a founding director of the Institute of Ecotechnics. Uh, and spent some time in the Biosphere 2. We want to hear all about that. Uh, Mark, welcome back. Yeah. Okay, uh, tell me about the origins of the Biosphere 2 and, and uh, the original concept, and then how did you get involved? Well, it kind of came out of uh, John Allen, who is a fellow founding director of the Institute and a 
kind of a pretty amazing uh, polymath, you know, that has done everything from mining, metallurgical engineering to, oh, going to Harvard on a scholarship to, to, to you know, do an MBA. Jeez. Uh, product of the Oklahoma frontier. And uh, so John is qu- quite rightly uh, credited as the inventor of Biosphere 2. So at some of those Institute of Ecotechnics conferences I was mentioning, you know, we've been following space development, and, you know, space was even hotter, you know, way back in the 70s because of the moon race and everything else, you know, the uh, the future is in sure. space, the new frontier and all that. And when it became clear as we were talking to these wonderful astrogeologists and people from NASA is that we were doing, you know, way better at rocketry and putting spacecraft into orbit and, you know, uh, exploring other planets in the solar system than we were at developing how to live in space. So Biosphere 2 was kind of a project to, and it had two main goals. So the space one was to be an early, obviously, Earth-based precursor. Can we make complex systems, i.e. mini-biospheres, that will be necessary both ecologically, emotionally, and psychologically if we're going to live in space. Mm. And the the twin goal, uh, and of course this came out of the Institute of Ecotechnics, and gee, we can do a much better job of living on planet Earth and like treating treating our biosphere with respect. So we wanted to make a new kind of experimental ecological laboratory. And to make it a mini biosphere, it's, you know, some people say it's a model of planet Earth. Ho-hum, you can't make a model of planet Earth. But, you know, what what you can do is incorporate some of the important features of planet Earth, which is like a diversity, and don't be afraid of the word biome, of different biomes. You know, we know these deserts, grasslands, savannas, marshes, wetlands, oceans, coral reefs, rainforests, these are all biomes. So Biosphere 2, you know, had a constellation about five wilderness biomes, and it also, under the same roof and, you know, sharing the same air and water cycles, we had a mini farm that was beyond organic, you know, to grow the food that uh, the people living there needed. Mm-hmm. And a human habitat where we we created a pretty pleasant place to live and and work and had workshops and laboratories, etc. And so I spent uh, a most memorable and I would say transformational two years of my life inside from 1991 to 93. Wow, that's amazing. Now, um, uh, how were the the other? How, how many other people were in there with you? There were eight of us: four men, four women which was kind of a revolutionary thing. It seems kind of old hat, but we were determined to send out a, you know, women and men are equal uh, partners in, in our biosphere right. kind of thing. How and we needed, we, we figured we needed a group of eight people because, my gosh, we needed to take care of, you know, marine systems, a Everglades uh, wetland and mangrove marsh, an ocean with a living coral reef all these terrestrial systems. We needed a diversity of people with backgrounds to be able to, one, manage all of these things, do the research, cooperate with, you know, dozens and dozens of 
institutions and scientists on the outside. So, you know, although some of us had science backgrounds, we were mainly a generalist can-do crew. And, you know, we called the first two years the shakedown mission. So if people remember Bias for Two, they probably don't remember. That two years was, was just the beginning of what we hoped would be a 100-year experiment to really see the long-term, you know, who, what many biospheres are like and what insights we can get into the fundamental processes that operate in our global biosphere. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, you talk, you're talking about what was inside the biosphere. How big was the biosphere, too? It covered uh, about two football fields. Wow. You know, uh, and so in, in, you know, for Americans, a little over three acres. You know, but for a human construction, you know, and I, sure, I encourage people not only read the book, watch the movie, but, you know, go online and look at images of it. And if you ever get to southern Arizona, you know, pay out the 20 bucks or whatever they charge you because it was quite a magnificent structure. You know, we built uh, we built a virtually airtight uh, facility, and it was, you know, stainless steel and concrete underground and glass space frame above ground. And because we, ex- you know, anticipated uh, trees growing over their lifetimes, you know, that the uh, the roofs or the, our atmosphere, the, the top of our atmosphere was like 75 to 80 feet in the rainforest and 40 feet elsewhere. So it's really a, you know, kind of knock your socks off architectural building as well. So there are so many different uh, things that were inside the biosphere, too. Um, just on a, on, a, on a technical level, how were they put in? I mean, who installed them and how they were, were built and, and, uh, and all of those things brought in? Yeah, you know, Biosphere 2 was a pretty, you know, I was mentioning, you know, 50, you know, probably 100 people with associates working on various projects. But Biosphere 2 was a whole level, other level of endeavor. So, you know, we enlisted, you know, a number of departments of the University of Arizona, which is nearby. Oh, we got the the vice president of research for New York, from New York Botanical Garden who then became the head of Kew Gardens in in London. So we had two of the best botanical gardens in the world working on the design of our rainforest. And on and on and on, the the Smithsonian Institution had a brilliant guy named Walter Aidey, who had done microcosms of uh, wetlands and coral reefs. So his team worked with us on both the Everglades uh, system and the living coral reefs. the whole design process of Biosphere 2 took, oh, probably five or six years. And, you know, when we broke ground in 1987, it took us about three and a half years to complete by, uh, complete the structure and put everything in there so that the eight of us could go in for the two-year opening experiment. We were the biggest employer in that county, aside from a copper mine up the road. Wow. Now, how were the people chosen who were who were going to live in the biosphere? Well, you know, we we, we call them biospherian candidates. Okay, and of course, we, you know, like NASA when they decided that uh, they needed astronauts, they turned to you know military uh, jet pilot uh, type of people. Right, that was the initial core of the astronaut corps. So, you know, we had a number of people that we had seen in stressful and difficult and 
challenging circumstances, good work that the various ecotechnic projects around the world. So probably the bulk of the, it was like 15 to 17 people were the Biospherian candidates. And a lot of them we knew from their work on various ecotechnic projects. But then, you know, they worked at the site, uh, which is in Oracle, Arizona, which is between Phoenix and Tucson. And, you know, the, what was unique about that first group of Biospherians is they not only trained to be Biospherians, but many of them took part in the design of different systems or even construction and quality control of the facility itself. Mm-hmm. So unlike the astronauts who, you know, they may have all the blueprints of the spacecraft they step into, you know, some of my fellow biospherians knew that biosphere, you know, virtually from every nut and bolt and, you know, decision on which system would go in, you know, and it was a pretty massive structure. Yeah. Wow. Uh, listen, Mark, hang on. Ooh. Hang on, Mark, okay? All right. All right. Uh, Dr. Mark Nelson is with us. He spent a couple of years in the biosphere, too. We're going to talk more about that. Uh, he's got a book that he co-wrote called The Life Under Glass. And uh, there's also a, a documentary that you can see called Spaceship Earth. And it's a movie, and it's available uh, now. Uh, fascinating stuff. And we'll talk with uh, more with Dr. Nelson uh, uh, right here on 720 WGN. All right. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. And we are live in the Skyline studio uh, here till 4 a.m. as we are every weeknight into the morning, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. 312-981-7200. Coming up, Dan Feinberg is going to join us, TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter. We're going to talk about uh, some facts about identical twins, um, uh, also completely pointless inventions and uh, ridiculous job titles. And uh, and uh, and more. And the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. My guest right now is Dr. Mark Nelson. He is the uh, co-author of Life Under Glass. Spent a couple of years in the biosphere, too. And uh, we're talking about that experience and much, much more. Uh, Mark, welcome back. Good to be back. All right. So what was just the, in, in, in terms of just the day-to-day life like in the biosphere? Uh, you know, we we had different jobs in there, uh, the eight of us, but uh, virtually everyone spent two to three hours in the farm growing our food. You know, the irony, here we are in this $150 million state-of-the-art technological, you know, device, and we are subsistence farmers. And I've been an organic farmer both before and I am currently uh, as we speak. But, you know, Biosphere 2 is beyond organic because if, if you're making a tightly sealed structure for 100 years of expected life, yeah. you can't even use some of, the, some of the sprays and practices that are currently allowed in organic farming because you're worried about anything building up in the soils or in the water affecting your food. When you when you build something, you know, one of the, one of the great uh, nail biters of management and Research joys of Biosphere 2 was 
it, it's kind of like a pinball machine for a world, because when you have a small atmosphere, a you know tiny amount of soil and uh, ocean, and you you're just packed with life. All of the cycles are literally accelerated by hundreds of thousands of times. So things happen fast. So, you know, for example, you know, how long does a CO2 molecule hang, hang out there in the Earth's atmosphere? Well, you know, scientists have figured out it's around four years. In oh, wow. Biosphere 2, between two and four days. Wow. So one year in there meant, you know, that we saw you know, 90 to 180 cycles of CO2 in and out of their atmosphere. And this leads to, you know, one of, one of the things that I hope we get a chance to talk about, this incredible feeling of and knowing, your body knowing, you know, we should all know that the Earth's biosphere, what is it? Uh, in the most simple terms, it's the reason that you and I are alive and that we're all alive. It is our life support system. But that's a little bit hard to get your mind around. And we should talk about, you know, how we can wake up and appreciate and act on that knowledge. But in a close, a small closed system, that reality becomes, you know, your bread and butter. Your body gets it. If this if this biosphere becomes unhealthy, that threatens my well being. Right. And you know, but but it's more a positive thing. I don't want to you know put it in such scary terms. It's like the joy of knowing, oh, you know, I'm the only, you know, the, the humans in here are the only things that can keep the, the uh, technical systems working and sensors calibrated and do the research and blah, blah. But it's actually all of the plants and animals and all of the soil microbes, they're all the ones that are actually keeping this world alive and healthy. And what were and there... it's an ama- amazing realization. Uh, were were there bumps in the road? Were there were there uh, complications while you were in there for the two Absolutely. years? Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about Absolutely. what. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, to begin with, uh, and, and the most sort of spectacular, uh, unexpected development of the two years was that oxygen began disappearing from our internal atmosphere, and it did that really slowly. Oh. And if we weren't so amazingly tightly sealed. You know, to to an extent that you know most of your listeners will have a hard time comprehending. In one month, Biosphere Two had a leak rate. You know, exchanged there with the outside one percent per month, less than ten percent per year. So if we weren't that tightly sealed, we wouldn't have discovered the oxygen disappearing. Oh wow! But that was really alarming. Here we are. We're at thirty nine hundred feet. You know, in the foothills of the mountains near uh, Tucson, Arizona. We're not going anywhere, but the oxygen is declining. So, you know, in terms of biomedical, it's like we're taking the slowest mountain climb ever. (laughs) So all kinds of research was conducted. And after about, I think it's about 16 months when oxygen had fallen to the equivalent of Virtually being on a 15,000-foot mountain, wow! we decided to inject some oxygen because it was getting a little scary. Our doctor couldn't add up a, a, you know, a line of numbers on a, on a pad, and people were getting sleep apnea. But we had so much research because nobody had ever uh, disentangled you know, 
being at a constant air altitude and having oxygen decline. So we didn't have the physiological responses that mountain climbers do. So that would that was one great thing. The other thing is, and we kind of were half expecting this, to produce a balanced diet for eight people on a half acre of uh, of soil yeah. is really difficult. I bet. And especially when you lose about 50% of the light to, you know, going through the space frame and internal shading. So we uh, we were on a calorie-restricted diet. And if your listeners don't know what that is, we weren't malnourished, but we were definitely undernourished, i.e., Hunger was a constant companion, mm. you know, during the, t- the two years. Now, seven of us worked like hell to reverse that situation. We became much better farmers, and we grew a few tons more food the second year. But ironically, our doctor, Roy Walford, who's now passed away, but he was a professor at UCLA Medical School. He just happened to be the world expert in a calorie-restricted diet. Oh. So he was over the moon because we were the first group of humans that would, could be studied, and there was no way of cheating. And you know, we measured every every pea and and bean and beet and sweet potato that we ate. So, you know, and, and I have to say, uh, unless I think you're a saint, that's a very difficult diet to sustain. Yeah. So don't ask me what my diet is now. So we lost a lot of weight, and our cholesterol dropped precipitously. Our immune systems became better. Five of us, after after two years, went into a metabolic chamber. And as you might might expect, what does the human body do when it's got all of the the nutrients it needs but not enough calories? It gets really, really, really good at getting everything that's in that food out. <laughs> yeah, you know we're we're like these oysters that are sucking and utilizing every bit of our food substance. And I don't mean to emphasize, overemphasize, but you know, for most, unfortunately, that's not true for some Americans and, and some Europeans. But you know, for for those of us in the in the middle class where you can run down to a 7-Eleven or a convenience store, it's kind of a new experience that what you grow is what you have to eat. Right. Yeah. That is a reality that, you know, most humans can relate to, aside from maybe the last 50 or 100 years in certain portions of the United States and more affluent countries of the world. So that that was interesting. And, and one of our responses were, Let's put away a little bit of the food so we can have a feast and have a blowout, you know, yeah. brew everything brew everything that's brewable in this biosphere. Yeah. So we made banana wine and rice beer and probably uh, a contender for the world's worst whiskey because <laughs> beets brew really well. And a European, you know, a friend who works with the European Space Agency gave us a recipe for beet whiskey. Beet whiskey? And beet whiskey, oh. yeah. You know, and the thing is, if that's the only thing down at your local pub or bar, <laughs> you're going to drink it. You're going to drink it even if it's got off. I, I, the banana wine was probably our best product. Yeah. But I don't think it would have won any wine contest around the world. <laughs> wow. All right. And, and so, the, you know, the other thing which, which you probably should ask, and I'll freely admit, 
being restricted to seven other people, even, you know, and we came in as friends and now we've kind of regained, we've had reunions and, you know, reignited, you know, our love and respect for each other. But, you know, whatever was happening in terms of group tensions and personality and cliques and factions, yeah. whenever there was a coffee morning or a feast on the menu, on the, on the tab, no one was going to spoil it with squabbling yeah. and bickering. You yeah. know, yeah. we just laid back and enjoyed the day, and you know, wow, it sounds like a, <laughs> really it sounds like a, an incredible experience. Uh, and uh, the book is called Life Under Glass. Uh, it's available now, and uh, this is the second edition of Life Under Glass. And uh, there is a documentary that you can watch called Spaceship Earth, and that's the movie. Uh, really fascinating talking with you, uh, Doctor, and uh, congratulations on all the. Uh, all the interesting uh, success, and uh, and I and uh, and and really was really great to talk to you, uh, Doctor. Oh, it's it's really been a pleasure, Nick. And, and I'm not a late night person, so I'm really happy that you were able to schedule me at the beginning of your yeah, at the of beginning of the show. Yeah, because we're here marathon on the radio. Yeah, we're here till four o'clock in the morning. So there you go. <laughs> All right, Doctor. Thanks very much. Okay, bit of bit of blast. Okay, take Thanks. care, Doctor Mark Nelson, uh, who was one of the people who was in the Biosphere Two for two years. Uh, fascinating stuff. And again, the book is called Life Under Glass. He's the co-author of it, and it's all about the uh, experiences of being a part of the Biodome Two project and living in there for two years. And then Spaceship Earth is the movie. Uh, check it out online, um, and uh, and you can uh, get all the information there too. Doctor Mark Nelson, amazing stuff. Right, hello. Hi, it's Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio here until 4 a.m. as we are every weeknight into the morning, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. 312-981-7200 is our number. If you would like to join us, we would love to hear from you. Uh, We're going to talk TV with Dan Feinberg. He's the TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter, uh, and you can follow him at The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. If you have any questions about television or comments about television, 312-981-7200. We're going to discuss identical twins, uh, completely pointless inventions, and ridiculous job titles, and much, much more. 312-981-7200 is our phone number. Uh, Dan Feinberg is the TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter, and he joins us every other week to talk TV. And uh, here is Dan. Hello, Dan. Hello, Nick. How are you? I'm okay. It's getting a little bit hot, but it's mid-August, so I guess that's what it's supposed to be doing. Yeah, we're we're we've got a we got a heat uh, a, a heat streak coming up here too. Uh, start, starting over the weekend, it's going to get into the 90s here. So let me let me tell you, containment is not so bad when it's uh, you know when it's all tempered and nice, but when it gets to the the 90s. Yeah, and it's a little bit unpleasant. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, we'll get through it. I mean, it's August in Chicago. August in Chicago. That's what. <laughs> that's what it is. Exactly. So, uh, all right. It's been a while since we've spoken. I'm glad that uh, we we got you on here. 
It has. Uh, the, the Blackhawks got in the way of one of our appearances. Yeah. And, you know, just time stretches out. But on the bright side, it means there's ever so much TV to there talk about. There is a lot to talk about uh, in terms of television. Um, and uh, is, there, is there anything that, uh, that over the past few weeks that we haven't spoken, is there anything that stands out that you've, uh, that you've watched or anything that you wanted to talk about uh, here other than some of the reviews that you've done? I think last week, actually, uh, well, we missed the Emmy nominations entirely. So, oh, right. But I think we might now. I think we might now be like too far past them for them even to be timely anymore. So right. let's just pretend they. You know, we'll deal. We'll deal with it when the awards come along. But uh, no, I think last week was particularly good because last week there was the premiere of Lovecraft Country, the premiere of Ted Lasso, and the premiere. And I didn't review this one, but I watched and enjoyed it of. Uh, Netflix's Teenage Bounty Hunters. So that was sort of an above-average stretch of TV last week, okay. uh, whereas this week, into this weekend, below average. Oh. oh. Well, what's below average for this weekend? Ah, oh, there's Netflix's Hoops, which is not very good. There's Love in the Time of Corona on Freeform, which is kind of the first full-on scripted show produced entirely during the quarantine, mm-hmm. and it's really not pleasant and so yeah this this is a good weekend to catch up on what you didn't watch last weekend and the week before i would okay. say well all right well there you go that's uh, some of the things tell me about the the netflix show that you were just talking about that you watched but you didn't review uh teenage bounty hunters yeah tell it me about a, that it is a dark comedy about two 16 year old girls fraternal twins who find themselves semi-accidentally becoming bounty hunters under the watchful eye of a grizzled old bounty hunter played by kadeem hardison um and it's executive produced by genji cohen from orange is the new black and netflix really didn't know what to do with this show. They embargoed reviews until premiere day, which was last Friday, and promoted it only a little. It's a really kind of clever, kind of sweet, kind of funny show about two teenage bounty hunters with a couple really good performances from the two unknown actresses who are its leads. And, you know, probably the fact that I'm speaking this highly of it is already kind of elevating expectations in a way that it doesn't need. But if you go in with low expectations, it's a lot of fun, and I think a lot more people would enjoy it than we're actually talking about it last weekend. So maybe this weekend is the right time to check out Teenage Bounty Hunters. Teenage Bounty Hunters. You know, we've talked about this uh, you know, a, a bunch of times. The amount of content on Netflix, how does a show like this, I mean, this something like this, a show like this could get lost in the shuffle. Isn't that, isn't that true? It is definitely true, and it's it's kind of inevitable, and a lot of good stuff gets stuck, you know, caught in the shuffle. And also, Netflix maybe has decided to some degree that shows that are being tailored towards a teenage audience really don't require a critical attention at all. And I think that's plausible. I, I can't say they're necessarily wrong, but also don't require any sort of awareness from an older generation that they exist in any way, shape, or form. And yeah. so this was one where I think they just assumed, you know, the the girls might find it, and that's fine. And whereas what I would say is that if you were to pitch it to people my age, your age, producer Tom's age, etc., and say it's kind of Veronica Mars-esque, which is how I'd describe it. It's not as good as Veronica Mars, but it's sort of in that vein. And so if you pitch it 
to people as that, you can get a lot of people to watch it. And so I don't know that Netflix did it any favors, yeah. but maybe people will find it in the weeks to come. You know, as you, if you mention Veronica Mars, I'm all over it, Dan. <laughs> and, again, and, and, she, and once again, I kind of raised the expectation a little bit too high, and it runs into trouble. But it's it's just a little bit smart, a little bit clever. It, everything's sort of quick, quippy and referential. They touch on a couple social issues in effective ways. There are a couple relationships that I really liked. Uh, Method Man has a very funny oh, supporting role. Awesome. Uh, and I always enjoy watching Method Man Me acting. Me too. Me um, too. <laughs> so, so, yeah, there, there are lots of good things. If you just go in and go, okay, it's 45 to 50 minutes per episode. It's not. It doesn't take itself very seriously at all. It's it's fun. And I think a lot of people would find it an escapist pleasure because I don't think it's meant to be anything more than that. So I'm, I'm telling people if it sounds like the kind of thing you might find vaguely amusing, you really should check it out. It's It's not. You know, it's not peak Veronica Mars, but I don't think it's worse than Veronica Mars season three. Okay. So, you know. <laughs> okay. So there All, you right. Go. All right, Dan, hold on a second, okay? Sure. Uh, Dan Feinberg is with us, TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter. You can follow him at The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. And if you want to join us with any uh, TV questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. 312-981-7200. Right. Hello, Nick DiGilio here on 720 WGN. 312-981-7200 is the phone number, and uh, we're here until 4 o'clock. It is a Thursday morning. Happy Thursday. 312-981-7200, if you want to join us, we're talking TV. Dan Feinberg from The Hollywood Reporter, TV critic, uh, joins us every other week. You can follow him uh, at The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. And uh, we love to have Dan uh, talk about TV, lots of TV to talk about. And if you have any questions, TV-related or comments, it's 312-981-7200. Hello, Dan. Hello, Nick. Uh, I wasn't aware of this, but I was looking at uh, uh, the fine print, and I saw that they actually shelved an episode of Blackish, and now it's available on Hulu. Tell us the story about that. Indeed. Uh, several years ago, I believe it was in the show's fourth season, there was an episode that was co-written by Blackish creator Kenya Barris that was supposed to air in the second half of that season, and ABC simply pulled it. And for a long time, there were disputations on both sides regarding the cause of the shelving. Rumors initially swirled that it was a subject matter thing, that the episode was too anti-Trump, not that the show ever had problems with that at any point otherwise, uh, or that the problem was that there was a plot in it about Colin Kaepernick and the national anthem kneeling, and that that was too hot to handle. Uh, ABC's executive at the time, uh, Entertainment President Channing Dungey, said that Ultimately, it was a creative decision and that it was simply not up to the show's standards, so they pulled it. Well, Channing Dungey has gone off, and she's at Netflix now. And uh, basically, ABC had been re-airing and getting extra airings out of a couple of the more controversial episodes of Blackish. And at some point, Kenny Barris said to Hulu and ABC, look, can we just put this episode up? And they said yes. And so the episode is now available. Um, and... 
it's okay. And that's that's about all I can say about it. Is, is I think I probably agree it is not among the best episodes of Blackish. It, it the plot is that the main character Dre, played by Anthony Anderson, is uh, trying to basically tell his infant son a bedtime story to uh, to put him to sleep, but he's realizing how he's also wrapped up in anxiety because of what's happening in the world. And so he goes over various things happening in the world from protests, kneeling in the national anthem, etc., and tries to talk his infant son who doesn't understand through these things. And it's it's sweet, but not really all that substantive, but it's not really in any way controversial at all. I think they could have aired it. No one would have said a word. Um, And definitely ABC has aired dozens of worse episodes of sitcoms over the years. So the idea that it didn't rise to some level of quality is beyond asinine. Yeah. So it becomes a question of why did ABC do this? And there's no answer. You could, the, the speculation runs everything from it was in the middle of the negotiations to acquire all of the Fox assets and they didn't want to do anything to mess with that deal uh, to the fact that ABC is Disney, Disney is ABC, is ESPN, ESPN is the NFL, so they're all sort of in this oh, somewhat yep. conflicted whatever, and yeah. so maybe this was something. But even then, it's not even the, the kneeling national anthem stuff is it's like the fifth biggest plot line in the episode and it's dispatched within less than three minutes of screen time. It's barely there. Yeah. It's, it's nothing. So it, it's a mystery. And that's, and that ultimately ends up being all this is, is here's an episode that ABC didn't want you to see. And a bunch of people are going to watch it and go, I don't understand why ABC didn't want us to see it. And, yeah. you know, for better, or for worse, and almost definitely for worse, everything in the episode is still timely. So yeah. you could just sit down and watch it now and it, it plays exactly the same way, which shows that we've both made no progress and things have gotten worse. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's where it is. It's uh, an odd thing. <laughs> All right. Well, the episode is called Please Baby Please, and um, it's uh, it's been shelved for a couple of years, but it is now available on Hulu, and uh, if you want to go back and watch this uh, episode of Blackish, it is now um, available. All right. Indeed. All right. Here's Barbara on WGN. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Vic. Um, I'm not much for advertising a show, but I just want to mention to you that Friday, the show on Netflix called Lucifer is coming back on. Uh, it originated on Fox, and it went through three seasons and then abruptly canceled the show. And there was such an uproar, people were wondering what happened. Well, they were going by the Nielsen rating going through the United States, but they didn't realize that there was an audience all over the world that loved this show, and they started a Save Lucifer um, petition on uh, Twitter, and I understand we crashed Twitter two times. We call ourselves the Lucifans. And um, anyway, uh, Netflix bought it. And so we we had a a fourth season that they said was going to be the last, but then seeing how many people loved it, Netflix gave it a fifth season, and um, it it's like 16 episodes, and they split it in half, and we've seen half of it. Uh, and 
this Friday, it's coming back on the air after being off for nearly a year. And I don't know if there's any Lusa fans in the Chicago area, but believe me, everybody loves that. Tom Ellis, he plays the part of an angel that was thrown out of heaven, right. which you assume about that because they don't show that. And uh, it's about uh, the devil that goes to Los Angeles for a vacation, and then he decides that he loves Los Angeles and he doesn't want to go back. And then the story takes off, and he is the cutest man you ever saw. Okay. And Everybody loves him. All right, Barbara, it's on Netflix uh, starting on Friday. All right, you know what, what about Lucifer, Dan? Oh, I could not possibly say it better than Barbara just said it. No, that's, I mean, that is the story of the show, is that it was a show that Fox was unable to properly gauge what its level of success was, and they canceled it even though there was a vocal fan base out there. And Clearly. Netflix picked it up. I didn't, know, I didn't know they were called Lusa fans, though. <laughs> I'm not sure I necessarily knew that either, but I, I definitely knew that the fans were out there and that they're enthusiastic and, and definitely knew that they loved Tom Ellis. That, that is without yeah. any question at all. And and so, yeah, it is, it is a it is one of those success stories of, of fans saving a show, and not just fans saving a show, because it happens with some frequency at this point, because yeah. TV's weird these days, but of being able to sustain the attention, because there's always the story of something like Jericho, which got renewed, but after fans, you know, basically sent nuts to CBS, and then the second season, no one watched it. And so it was like, okay, great. And so CBS went, okay, well, we gave you your second season. You didn't watch it. It's canceled. Uh, Lucifer apparently really has continued to have the audience. I mean, another example would be Designated Survivor, which Netflix picked up for an extra season, and they thought there was going to be enough audience to maybe sustain it going forward, and then it just got canceled after one season, whereas Lucifer has done apparently fairly well on Netflix. Not that anyone would know. Yeah, well, it's true. Well, Barbara and her other Lucifer fans are waiting for, for, for Friday. Get that, uh, and, I, and I, I, I made the mistake of saying there was nothing necessarily good coming out this weekend. So, so there you go. There uh, it is. Lucifer, return, Lucifer returning to Netflix on Friday. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm very disappointed by this news. Um, Drunk History has been canceled at Comedy Central. I love Drunk History. I think it's just absolutely <sighs> hilarious, and I'm sad that it uh, that it got canceled. Uh, Comedy Central is in a, a strange phase where they're shifting away from scripted originals, and, you know, it's the way lots of things are going in, in basic cable, and so they've canceled a number of shows in in recent weeks, and this was just another casualty. Um, yeah, it's definitely fans are very unhappy, and it's it's also a show that is reliably nominated for uh, for several key Emmys and its eligibility category. So, yeah, it's it's a little strange, but I don't really understand Comedy Central's current strategy at this point. So, other than watching uh, Trevor Noah every night and watching South Park periodically, that's you know that's that's all I do with Comedy Central these days. So, yeah. so yeah, they're 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 going through some reconsiderations of strategy, and Drunk History was a casualty of that. I I would I would that it finds a way to return in some form somewhere, yeah. assuming the people involved want it to. I would hope so, because... It, really, it, it has an audience. Oh, so. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm one of that. I'm one of that audience. Uh, <laughs> I, I, think that show is, I think that show is hilarious, and, and um, uh, I've always just cracked up watching it, and just, uh, I'm really... And also, the thing, about the, the thing about Drunk History, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not kidding here, 
Um, I've learned a lot watching Drunk <laughs> History. I'm not, I'm not kidding. While I watch it, I mean, it's hilarious, and I think Derek Waters is awesome. I just, I love him. And, and my favorite moments, uh, uh, Dan, in um, in Drunk History are when they cut to Derek Waters laughing at whoever is drunk telling the story. Those, those are my favorite, my favorite moments. I, I'm, I'm betting someone will pick it up in some form because it, it you know, it, it has those assets that you just said. They get an unreal assortment of, of cameos, guest stars, however you want to call yeah, it. it yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's a show with a deep well of support, not just among fans, but in the comedy community. So I, so I would bet someone will say, we're going to pick it up for three specials or something. I just don't necessarily know who it would be, but the obvious yeah. answer is as always Netflix. Exactly. Exactly. Now, now, Tom, you said that your, your girlfriend agreed to date you because of drunk history. Yeah. My fiance decided to <laughs> your, your fiance. Yeah, that's right. Fiance. I'm sorry. You're, yeah. you're engaged now. That's right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I used to watch it back when it was still a web series on funny or die. Yeah. And, um, I guess one night it was a, uh, uh, Friday night in college. So I was drinking. No, <laughs> you were. It's a Friday night in college, yeah. and you were drinking. Huh? Yeah. What? Yeah, and uh, I did from memory the entire web series one where it's, uh, I think it's Duncan Trussell uh, telling the story of Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison. So it was like. I, I was like laying on the ground, just rambling about Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison and pigeons and electrocuting animals. And she, for some reason, was just like, "Well, this guy's a hoot." So there you go. Thank you, Derek Waters. Thank you, uh, Drunk History. All right. Okay, all right. Wow. Another reason. Another reason to save the show. And reader, she married him. Wow, that is. Uh... <laughs> she married the guy laying on the floor, uh, rambling on drunk about Tesla. So that's uh, hey, when you when you know you know. There's yeah, no, there's no it. question. There's hope for all of us. Okay, Dan, hang on. Sure. All right, Dan. Dan Feinberg is with us, TV critic for the Hollywood Reporter. Follow him at the Fine Print F I E N. Lots more TV to talk about. And if you have a TV question or a comment, Dan Feinberg's here. 312-981-7200. We'd love to hear from you. My mama told me she said some All right. Hello, it's Nick DeGilio on WGN. We are uh, live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago, here till 4 o'clock, as we are every uh, weeknight from 11 p.m. into the morning at 4 a.m. Coming up at 4 o'clock, we go over to Bradley Place to the TV side of WGN, get some early morning news from that group, and then uh, the great Bob Surratt has your morning drive starting at 5. 312-981-7200, that's our phone number. Dan Feinberg is with us. He joins us every other week to talk TV. TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter, and you can follow him at The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. Hello, Dan. Hello, Nick. A couple more people calling in here. Let's, uh, Sean. Sean, go ahead. Hey, Nick, love your show. Thank you, buddy. Hey, hey, hey Dan, uh, I was curious about the boys on Prime Video. When's the next season coming out? I love that show. I'm dying to see it. The next season is coming out at the beginning of September, and it has already been renewed for a third season. So, uh, oh, so get ready to have much more of it. There you go. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, sir. All right, Sean, take care. What's The Boys? Remind us. Uh, the, bo- the Boys is 
Amazon's anti-superhero team-up show uh, about a dysfunctional group of superheroes in a world in which the world knows that superheroes exist and they worship superheroes, but oh. some of them turn out not to be good people. It's sort of Amazon's equivalent of what Netflix has with Umbrella Academy, gotcha. of what DC Universe has with Doom Patrol. It's, you know, it's a thing. Um, I think a lot of people prefer the boys uh, because it is raunchier and more violent and people blow up but good sometimes okay so, all right yeah <laughs> all right well that's, i think maybe that's why sean likes it so much so we were say uh here's chris on wgn go ahead chris hey nick how you doing all right what's up uh, i just want to talk about like old soap opera and after that, i want to do two shots from the chicago area that i know of uh, you remember Chris Malfano that play on Hope Brady on Days? Which one? Uh, Chris Malfano. She played Hope Brady, you know, Bo and Hope. Yeah, well, I don't remember, but go ahead. Yeah, I heard that uh, she's supposed to be leaving Days, and their rumor had it that she's supposed to be moving to Young and the Wrestlers very soon. Uh-huh. All uh, right. If that happens, that's, that's going to be a shocker because, you know, because uh, you know they just recently got back in production after this COVID thing. The they yeah. were the only one doing new sh- shows, and all those was on hiatus. Right. All right, well, there you go. There's a little soap opera news for you there, Dan. <laughs> Excellent. All right, thank you, Chris. Uh, okay, um, let's talk about Lovecraft uh, Country. Let us. Did you watch the first episode? I did. did. I, I did indeed. Yes. That sounds like a I liked it tone. Oh yes. <laughs> I liked it very much. So did you, Tom, right? Yes, I very much I very much did. I yeah. thought it was quite good. Yeah. What, what how many have you seen? I have seen five episodes. Oh, okay. Uh and and I've also read the source material by uh Matt Rupp that it was based on. So uh, right, I've, I've not was, read I've not no read way. it. I've not read it, but I did I did see the I did see the first episode, so um, it is it is a show that I like and a show I think is a, a both a lot of fun and also uh, very provocative and very timely in certain ways. And it's a pleasure to be able to point to a show where if you've seen one episode, I assure you, if you haven't read the book, you don't know where the story is going. That is that is the thing I will say because it is it is a fun mashup of pulp genre elements and it rarely stays in the same place for too long and it wholly engages with the different genres that it plays around with and uh and i think uh, journey smollett who is one of the stars and jonathan majors who's the other i think they are spectacular i think she in particular is is phenomenal yeah. i think she has been on the the brink of stardom for a long time and this should to me make her as big a star as there is the the camera just loves her in a way that it loves the people who are the big stars so tell everybody what it's about well it's hard to describe what it's about it is what it's yeah. about <laughs> initially is there's a young man who is a Korean War veteran who is returning to his Chicago hometown in 1955, and he's returning because his father has gone missing. And through a series of clues, he's able to find out that his father has gone has 
in some way or another either been taken or gone to a small New England community that is not to be found on any maps, but that it has distinct similarities in name and feeling and possibly creatures to uh, to various Lovecraftian horror elements. And so he goes off to get his father, but that's really only the start of the story. And then it goes other very, very wacky places that I will not spoil. Some of them are spooky. Some of them are thoughtful and interesting. Some are just fun and some are straight up gross. Uh, the, the fifth episode is particularly spectacularly wonderfully gross uh and then i loved that episode in particular yeah okay and by the way i want to mention that the uh that the missing father is played by omar it's uh michael michael, michael kenneth williams who i love michael kenneth williams you've got uh courtney b vance as the main character's uncle uh and it was and the series was adapted for television by misha green who was one of the co-creators of wgn america's underground which is a uh, pre-Civil War slavery action drama, whatever it is, it's a it's a, also a genre mashup. She she likes mixing around with the genres. Yeah. And uh, if people haven't seen Underground, it is all available on Hulu right now, and it is a terrific series that deserved more than just the two seasons it got. Okay, and then also obviously Jordan Peele's name is on it. That always adds. Uh... That always adds interest right there. He's an executive producer on this. He is indeed. He did not write or direct any of it, but you can definitely, you can see the things that interest him about using uh, genres that have traditionally not been spaces for black narratives uh, to tell more expansive stories than the way that the genres have normally been treated. And it definitely fits into the things that interest him. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I I thought the first episode was really terrific. I, I, I really, I watched it yesterday and I thought it was really, and uh, Tom, uh, you, 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 uh, you enjoyed it as well. Yeah. Very, very much enjoyed it. Um, I, you know, I thought it was going, it, it starts out really weird. And then kind of goes back to reality for a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then gets weird again. And I, I guess uh, I've just always been a fan of um, of H.P. Lovecraft stuff, you know, horribly racist warts and all, uh, because, you know, we're, we're like, what, 100 years from when his kind of biggest uh, time of productivity was? You know, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, most of everything was written between kind of like you know, uh, the end of uh, World War One to, like, I don't know, I think he kind of drops off by the 30s or so. So we're getting to that point where we're looking at 100 years of basically the guy who helped uh, develop American horror writing. And so uh, I find it interesting that this is coming out now and that it's kind of trying to contend with that, that legacy because he was not a nice guy. He was a weird recluse who like yeah he lived in his at- his mom's attic and uh had a kind of really depressing life and uh and now uh we're kind of looking back it's, at his work it's interesting because you know nobody's ever really done a, a, a good job adapting lovecraft for film and no. the the oddest thing is the most lovecraftian thing that i can think of is in the mouth of madness, which right. was, you know, which is not based on which, is really, which at all. is really more of a riff on Stephen King in a lot of ways. Well, it is, sure, you know. Sutter Kane and Stephen yeah. King, yeah, but but it really has that Lovecraftian feel to it. Uh, um, I want to. I, I want to ask Dan: Do you ever get annoyed of reading the adjective Lovecraftian? <laughs> I, I it is it is a usable 
adjective except for the fact that at this point the only people who understand it are you know it's it's a dwindling and condensing group right. uh, <laughs> yeah, i think i think the vast majority of people out there while if you make a comparison to stephen king in terms of american horror they're like ah okay i know what that is yeah uh but lovecraftian is tougher i would i would say that Stuart gordon did Several oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. That's true. Yep, Stuart Gordon, good old Stuart Gordon, late great Stuart Gordon, yeah. indeed. So, yeah. but yeah, he no, he's tough. And you know, like you look at uh, you look at the years that Guillermo del Toro has been trying to make Mountains Madness, not uh, Mountains. Where what is the full title of that one? It is at, at the Mountains at the, of Madness. At the Mountains of Madness. Yes, at the Mountains of Madness. Uh, he's been trying to make that for twenty five years, and at various points has had as much power as any director in hollywood and has not been able to get how that is it possible made. i mean he's you know i mean he's guillermo del toro he should be able to do whatever he wants i'm people i'm sure have have constantly told like i'm sure he's written scripts for it i'm sure there are scripts i'm sure there are outlines i'm sure there are production sketches and i'm sure every single time he says i want to do this a studio says sure let's do it what is the minimum amount of money that you need to yeah. make it? Yeah. And he gives a number that's significantly higher, I would assume. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you would think, like, after, uh, what the hell was the name of the creature from the Black Lagoon movie? Oh, uh, Shape the, of Water. Yeah, where, Shape of Water. Yeah. Shape of Water. He, got a, he made an Oscar-winning movie where a woman has sex with a fish. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, you know. Yeah. <laughs> There's something to be said yeah, about so, that, yeah. So so when you have this this most powerful man in in Hollywood at various different points, and he can't get that as his dream project made. You, yeah. you know, that's big. It's a tough. It's sell. tough. It's a tough sell. No question about it. I still say uh, my favorite Del Toro's Crimson Peak. I love that uh, movie. <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth is without is, hesitation. Yeah. Pan's Labyrinth is terrific. I also like um, Devil's Backbone too, which I think is, is also fantastic. Yeah. Okay, Dan, hang on. Sure. Uh, Dan Feinberg is with us. Uh, we're talking TV, and if you want to jump in with your TV comment or question, it's 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. We'll continue with Dan. More TV talk coming up here on 720 WGN. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock. It's a Thursday morning. We're going to be talking about identical twins, wild facts about them. And if you're a twin, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, completely pointless advent- uh, adv- inventions. We're going to talk about uh, how a Texas realtor is using Bigfoot to sell houses and some of the weirdest questions that realtors have ever been asked and ridicul- ridiculous job titles, among other things. Our phone lines are open at 312-981-7200. That's the Team Hochberg phone line, 312-981-7200. The news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. Dan Feinberg, a TV critic from The Hollywood Reporter, joins us every couple of weeks. You can follow him at The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. Lots of TV to talk about. Let's get back, uh, let's get back to it. Hello, Dan. Hello, Nick. Okay, let's talk about Star Trek Lower Decks. How many Star Trek shows have there been now? Um... CBS All Access has apparently just decided they're going to be the Star Trek network, and then occasionally <laughs> other things will pop up, and then people will talk about how good the good fight is, and no one will notice, and that will be sad. <laughs> um, but it's a strategy, I guess, whatever gets some group of people in. Uh, Lower Decks 
is it's a premise that a lot of people have been trying to do for many years in the Star Trek universe, which is basically to look at all of the people in, well, as the title would say, the lower decks, the the less significant people, not the officers, not the people on the bridge, not the characters who have been the basis of the shows in the past. So uh, is it like upstairs, downstairs? It is a little bit upstairs, downstairs. I, I would love for it to be more upstairs, downstairs, because then it would be significantly more substantive uh and it would have an actual premise as opposed to what it is which is largely a lot of star trek references which is fine it's just not particularly crafted humor it's uh created by mike mcmahon who is who created solar opposites which is pretty solid and uh, premiered on hulu a few months ago and he's a longtime writer and producer on rick and morty so he definitely has loopy animated sci-fi credentials uh for whatever reason though none of the actual big ideas that he's exhibited on other shows pop up here at all and it really is just a lot of okay we're gonna now go into a couple arcane details about favorite i don't know this is bad example klingon foods or something and we're gonna say their names and audiences who dig this will go ha i have never heard that mentioned before on a star trek show Uh and that will make people happy Mm. it's just not more than that Uh, none of the characters are all that interesting none of the voices are all that exciting the adventures on the show are sometimes a little cute and amusing and because it's animated you can have these characters who are basically you know glorified servants on on these ships kind of in the foreground having their banal adventures while huge big things happen in the background and that's sometimes amusing there's a rosencrantz and guildensterner dead thing that should be happening here but really isn't um yeah i I was i was disappointed it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination it's just it it's not the kind of thing that offers much beyond okay here fans we're now going to say some words that you've wanted to hear said on a tv show before Mm -hmm. so i would have liked for it to be better is and is there anybody of note providing the voices um, people of varying degrees. Uh, uh, Dennis Quaid's son, Jack Quaid, is the main voice, and he, some people will know, including our previous caller, as one of the stars of The Boys on Amazon Prime. So mm. it all ties back around and together. Uh, Tawny Newsom, who was very good on one season of Brockmire, is in it. Uh, Jerry O'Connell is one of the voices. There are a lot of very familiar people who do sort of secondary cameos and additional episodes so yeah it's a, it's a, it's an okay it's a good cast it's well i'm just looking at the no cast way. here I, I love noelle wells i i i i loved her since snl and she and she's good uh you know the, the voices are all likable and fine just nothing's exciting and i think that kind of goes for the entire series as well okay and it premiered on uh, thursday august 6th uh are they it's on cbs all access are they um just doing it once a week are they doing they're, one, one they're doing it a once a week okay yeah which which is also what they've done with the various star trek shows in fact i think They've had a couple shows that they've done dropped all at once, but generally CBS All Access is actually stuck to a one episode per week rhythm. So all right. at least they're consistent. <laughs> all right. Star Trek Lower Decks Thursdays on CBS All Access animated uh, Star Trek. Uh, they did another, they had another Star Trek animated show, didn't they? 
Uh, well, there was a, there was the Star Trek animated show that was back in the seventies, which this is paying homage to periodically. Uh, currently, that's what there has been. But then, for for a long time, the It's Always Sunny guys wanted to do a show that was basically this premise, uh, and it just never came together for for some reason. Uh, and you know, it's just always been a thing that's amused people as an idea, and you can understand why. Uh, you know, because these are sort of the lower people, and they idolize Captain Kirk, so they like to make Captain Kirk references, and so there's a lot of that. It's just uh-huh. not very well crafted, I okay. don't think. Right. Yes. What about the world's toughest race, Eco Challenge Fiji, on Netflix? Indeed, uh, this premiered last week, and some people, not everyone, but some people remember Eco Challenge because in the late '90s. Before there was Survivor, before there was The Amazing Race, Eco Challenge was the thing that to some degree was the progenitor of all of this. Yeah, it was yeah. executive produced by Mark Burnett. He he created this endurance race that was in multiple locations, I think Utah at some point, and it's in Fiji now in large part because that's where Survivor has had its home base for years. And it bounced around different networks because it premiered at a time when no one knew exactly what it was. And it also kept changing formats. The first season, it was like the entire race was a 45-minute special. And then it aired in different forms on Discovery and ESPN. So basically the premise is there are 66 teams of four ultra-endurance athletes, and they've got 11 days to make it from one point in Fiji to another point, and it's hundreds of kilometers, and there are an assortment of stop points they have to get to, and then they have to go through these different skill sets. So there are long stretches where they're whitewater rafting, and then other stretches where they have to uh, where they have to scale a one thousand foot um, waterfall, and then they have to swim or walk through. Uh, chilly, like, you know, 55-degree water in a river for eight kilometers, which is a lot, and apparently will give you hypothermia. Yeah. And so people are breaking their ankles. People are constantly getting cut. People are getting hypothermia. There's basically no sleep, because if you sleep, you're going to fall behind. Uh, and it's it's really kind of fascinating, and it's also fascinating to see how Mark Burnett has kind of in the 20 years that it's been off the air, or 18 years, added reality-type elements that it doesn't really need. So suddenly Bear Grylls is a basically a host-presenter, so he's constantly around telling you what's happening. Uh, there are medallions that teams need to collect, not for any reason in particular, just because that's what audiences who watch reality expect. It's, yeah. It doesn't always work, but the competitions are... The actual tasks are nutty. Uh, these are pe- these are athletes on a terrifying level, and a lot of the character drama is really effective. So there there are just good storylines. Like there's a son who's with his father, and the father was a, an endurance athlete from way back in the day, and now he has Alzheimer's, and he's failing basically as he goes. But the son wants to give him this last endurance race, and it's it's beautiful. It's almost impossible to watch and not get you know choked up and yeah. so it's it's really good solid tv and if people had vestigial memories of the original incarnation of this uh and especially in a time when there may not be another survivor season for 
a while. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Um, it, it's it's a welcome return of programming. I so it's not, all on Amazon now. I do not remember. This is all on Amazon. Is it, are, is it all the episodes available? Uh, all the episodes of, the, of this season, the ten episodes. Yeah. Okay, they're all available. All ten episodes of the of this season. I don't even. I don't remember the Eco Challenge from the what 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 what, uh, what network was it on? It was really a bunch of networks. It was on USA for a couple of years. It was on ESPN for one year. Discovery, I think it won an Emmy for in one of the early versions of the unscripted category back when no one had a clue what it was. Right. But it, it was it, it was not. It was kind of what Survivor was until the beginning of Survivor, when immediately people started making alliances, and it started becoming about alliances and voting strategy rather than actually surviving. Whereas this, no one's voting anyone out. Uh, You know, yes, somebody wins, but ultimately it's as much about the team that finishes last because they're still doing this ridiculous, insane thing and they're finishing it if they're finishing it. And so it's, it's almost unstructured at times, which is interesting to see uh yeah. it's it's really good and also when it premiered it was before hdtv it was before drones it was before all of the technology that these reality shows have allowed them to develop to get right up in this competition so it's it's pretty impressive technologically yeah and mark burnett uh 18 years ago was he i mean this was sort of cutting edge uh in uh, uh television for for that time oh absolutely when it when it started it was it was completely different from anything else on TV. It was because basically at that point, the thing it was most like was something like Road Rules on MTV, where mm-hmm. it was all kind of contrived competitions and just waiting for people to hook up and random stuff like that. And this was like, okay, they're out there in the jungle. People are bleeding everywhere. People are breaking bones on my TV. This is fantastic. And people were shocked by that. But obviously it wasn't successful enough to become a huge hit on its own. It was just a cult hit. And then obviously Survivor came along and it provided the, the other elements that reality TV latched onto and yeah. that people apparently really did want. Well, what a success, this the Mark Burnett. What a, what a success oh. story. It's insane. It is. Yeah. All right. Okay, uh, Dan, hold on. Sure. All right, Dan Feinberg is with us. We've got a few more shows to talk about. If you want to jump in here with some TV questions or TV comments, it's 312-981-7200, 312-981-7200. Um, Dan uh, writes for The Hollywood Reporter as a TV critic, and you can follow him at The Fine Print, F-I-E-N, F-I-E-N. Uh, lots more TV to talk about. And again, 312-981-7200 if you want to talk to to us about television we're going to be talking about pointless inventions coming up a little bit later on ridiculous job titles and some uh, wild facts about identical twins and if you're a twin we would uh love to hear from you tom how would it feel if you were a twin uh terrible <laughs> it's bad enough there's one of me <laughs> you didn't even hesitate you didn't even hesitate uh what would it be like if you were a twin? terrible I mean, two jackasses instead of just one. Well, how many brothers do you have? Two, right? Yeah, I got two younger ones. And they're younger than you, right? Yeah. Okay. Nothing like me. Nothing like you? Not a bit. Okay. Well, we'll talk about twins coming up a little bit later on. But right now, let's get to the news. Oh, 
All right. Hey, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline studio here, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago. We are here every weeknight into the morning, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. And then at 4 o'clock, we head over to uh, our partners over there at Bradley Place, the TV side of WGN, to get some early morning news. And then your morning drive at 5 o'clock is the great Bob Surratt. Uh, 312-981-7200 is the uh, phone number. Uh, You know, we always play some classic comedy from Johnny Carson's show. You can watch the Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV, and I suggest you do because it's so awesome. Uh, We're going to play back some classic Rodney Dangerfield from 1979. Oh, Rodney. Rodney was so funny. So uh, we'll play a little Rodney Dangerfield from uh, the classic Carson collection right there. 312-981-7200. That's our phone number. If you have a comment or a question concerning TV, uh, Dan Feinberg from The Hollywood Reporter is with us. and You can follow him at The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. And let's get back to some TV talk. Again, 312-981-7200. Hello, Dan. Hello, Nick. Hey, tell us about Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso uh, premiered last week on Apple TV+. Plus. The first three episodes premiered last week, and it will be weekly on Fridays subsequently. Um, it is based on a series of promotional shorts that Jason Sudeikis made a few years ago when NBC Sports had just gotten premiership soccer. And the gimmick was that he was a guy who knew absolutely nothing about soccer, um, but new American football, and yet was hired to be a commentator about soccer. Well, this has been extended now uh, into a full series, uh, which Jason Sudeikis co-created with Bill Lawrence of Scrubs and Spin City fame. And so the premise is that this American football coach, uh, a Division II college football coach, is for questionable reasons hired to take over a mid-level English premiership uh, soccer football team, even though he knows nothing about the sport. But because he's having some problems in his life, he takes the job. And because he is an eternal optimist, he goes over to to the UK, knowing nothing about soccer, but believing that he can find a way to make it work, and gradually discovers it is a more complicated sport than he thought, and that life is more complicated than he imagined. Um, The shorts, uh, the promotional shorts, were very jokey, very punchline-driven, and fairly funny. The series makes the choice to go less jokey, and uh, as a result, I don't know that I found the show all that funny. On the other hand, after like the second episode, they stopped being like, ha, 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 isn't it funny that we call uh, soccer shoes or that they call soccer shoes boots, but the boot is also the trunk of a car. Ha, ha, there, there are a lot of jokes oh, like that early geez. on. <laughs> and and they, just, they just really ride that for a while. But after, like, I would say the third episode, it dramatically declines, and it just becomes a very big-hearted underdog sports story. And uh, it is very, very heavily influenced by Major League, um, right to the point where part of the reason why he is hired is because the owner of the team is determined to sabotage the team. Oh, wow. But will someone, but will someone have a change of heart? Very possibly. Uh-huh. Uh, but, it, it, but it is utterly aware of the, the fact that it is aping Major League. And is, the owner, is, the owner, is the owner of the team a woman? 
She is indeed. She is a brassy. She is a brassy blonde woman. Um, it is. It is very. It is very aware of what it is. Um, played by Hannah Waddington, who most people will probably best know as the shame shame nun from Game of Thrones. Utterly unrecognizable, but that is what some people will know her from. Okay. Um, it's you know it, it's not a huge star driven cast. Probably of the. Uh, non-Jason Sudeikis actors in the cast, uh, Juno Temple, who's done a lot of stuff, yeah. uh, will be the most familiar figure. She plays the sort of celebrity, C-list celebrity girlfriend of one of the hotshot young players. Uh, I, I found that my affection for the series grew and grew and grew. And even though I wasn't laughing, I was entirely enjoying the series and found it warm-hearted and optimistic in a lot of ways that I found very pleasant. And so it involved a little bit of recalibrating at first because a lot of the jokes in the first couple episodes just are, are just really broad and, and don't work all that well. But then they stop relying as heavily on them, and it just becomes a likable character-driven comedy. Uh, lots of the, the players on the team eventually get to have good moments as well. And if you like underdog sports movies and TV shows, it, it ends up feeling very affectionate and respectful of the genre in ways that I, I quite enjoyed. I ultimately ended up really liking it, even not finding it hugely funny. Okay. I'm a huge fan of Jason Sudeikis, so um, you know I'm already, I'm already in. He's, he's really good. He's uh, he's playing it. He's definitely not playing it straight uh, because he's got a funny mustache and got to love that funny mustache. Yeah, yeah, of course, uh, yeah. And he has to do all of the I don't understand British English and all of that stuff. But it, it's a, it's a good performance, and the character becomes more interesting as he goes along. I, it, it's sort of it's the same path to the screen that Brockmeyer took, basically. Where it began as a funnier die short, right, did. right, right, right. Brock, Brockmeyer, when it came over, they were able to keep the jokes initially, and then they brought the heart in gradually as it went along. In this case, they sort of went the other way around, and they found a way to make the character actually human and have a heart initially, maybe at the risk of some of the punchlines. Yeah. But it's it's still a, a pretty good way of doing it, and and I ended up enjoying it quite a bit. Okay, I would say. cool. Tom, have you watched this yet? Because this sounds, this seems like it should be right up your alley, right? Yeah. Uh, well, the thing is, is that um, you couldn't pay me to get Apple TV Plus. Oh, okay. At this, at this point, I, I think I did the free trial just so I could watch the Beastie Boys documentary, which was pretty good, but not as good as the book that it kind of. Well, the book the the book is fifty three pounds. Yeah. <laughs> I I would rather I would rather sit and have that fifty three pound book, but yeah. uh, I, I guess I I don't know. There was just nothing on Apple TV that particularly um, wasn't the Mandalorian on Apple TV. No, nah, it was Disney. Oh, that was Disney. Uh, get Disney Plus. Uh, yeah. right, I get I get all my my uh, streaming services. All, I, I, I'm just confused. It's all going to be one giant streaming service yeah. one day. Just called. It's going to be this magical thing called cable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Dan, there, always a pleasure. There are things. There are things though on uh, on Apple TV. I, I recommend Central Park to people as well. Oh so, yeah, yeah. There, there. You know, it's it's tough though, and it's it's tough to justify adding and subtracting another service at each yeah. time. So yeah. I understand. Okay, Dan, what are you working on now? Um, been 
up to my neck in Democratic convention stuff oh, sure. this week. Yep. And then, you know, my getaway time, and we didn't even talk about this at all, has been Big Brother. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Been a, been a, I have not see, I did not see last night's episode. I'm going to watch it when I get home in the morning. Um, it was not hugely exciting. Uh, they the the all stars they tend to select for these don't tend to be the people who I like most from the show. So, yeah. so it goes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've been I've been a little bit underwhelmed too, Dan. But you know, so. I'll, I'll keep going with it. You oh, know, yeah. Oh, no. Normally, I'm gonna, I'm normally gonna... I normally I drop out for press tour, and there's no press tour this year. Right. Uh, I'm sticking with it. There you go. Okay. All right, Dan. Thanks, buddy. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Talk to you soon, Nick. Okay, buddy. Bye. There you go. Dan Feinberg. Check out The Fine Print, F-I-E-N, and he writes for The Hollywood Reporter, and he joins us every other week uh, to talk TV. Always a pleasure to have Dan on. Uh, 312-981-7200. Hey, are you a twin? We're going to talk about some wild facts about identical twins and uh, and more. And then a little bit later on, we're going to talk about completely pointless inventions. Uh, phone lines are open at 312-981-7200. We would love to hear from a twin if you are a twin. White Snake. Ah, yes. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Live in the Skyline studio. Uh, and if you would like to join us, it's 312-981-7200. It's a Thursday morning. How about that? It's a Thursday morning, Tom. Thursday? Yeah. Ah. So that's what day it is. It's a Thursday. Thursday yeah. in, uh, in the old Nordic tradition. Um, we're going to talk about completely pointless inventions a little bit later on and ridiculous job titles. <laughs> so, uh, and if you want to join us, it's 312-981-7200. We're talking about uh, identical twins. And uh, if you are a twin, we would love to hear from you at 312-981-7200. So the reason we're bringing this up is because this is a crazy story, and this is happening right now. A pair of identical twin sisters who married identical twin brothers announced that they're both pregnant. Um, Brittany and Brianna Salyers met their husbands Josh and Jeremy at the 2017 Twins Day Festival in Twinsburg, Ohio. Uh, and they were married in a TLC special titled Our Twin Sane Wedding. Uh, announced on their joint Instagram account that they are both pregnant. Our twin sane wedding. See? You get it? Twin sane. Uh, so it's in Twinsburg, Ohio. They have the Twins Day Festival. I wonder what the Twins Day Festival... What do they do at the Twins Day Festival? Um... Yeah, the 2017 Twins Day Festival. So clearly this has been around a while. What kind of activities do they have at the Twins Day Festival? Uh, I'm guessing like three-legged races. Do they have like, do, does a Minnesota, Minnesota baseball team show up? Ah. Um, <laughs> Twinsburg, Ohio. That's a real place. Twinsburg. It's a real place. B-U-R-G, Twinsburg, Ohio. And TLC, the special... Our twin sane wedding. You got to love that, man. Get it? TLC, man. So they're both pregnant, identical twin sisters. They married identical twin brothers, and they're both pregnant right now. 
That's crazy. Our children will not only be cousins, but full genetic siblings. Uh, but we can't wait to meet them and for them to meet each other. The couples live together in the... Oh, God. What? What? The couples lived together in the same house, and the sisters previously said that they had hoped to become pregnant at the same time and give birth on the same day. They live in the same house, Tom. Oh, my God. (laughs) No wonder there's a TLC show. You know? What the hell is wrong? I, I just... I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah. That's like, so I wonder if they, do they share a kitchen? You know, I wonder, do they share, uh, I wonder if they share other things if you catch my drift, but, uh, you know, that's kind of weird. It just, it's just, that just seems just very strange so, to me. Is that how the genetics work? Is that they'll not only be cousins, but also full genetic siblings because they are, because the parents are both genetically identical. Yeah, this is just getting into some weird. This is like some Jurassic Park stuff, man. This is like some weird genetic. Yeah, Jurassic I don't, Park I don't, stuff. I don't. This is just weird. I might. We might have to call like a like a geneticist or something. I don't know what they. Would I, I don't be know. What, I don't even know what to say here. I mean, you know, it's weird enough, but then they live together. The couples live together That's... in the same home. Doesn't that seem just weird? Mm-hmm. It makes you wonder how do they tell each other apart? Well, I mean, I've seen, I've, I've I saw a picture of the of the two couples, mm-hmm. and they're they're dressed like like they each dress other. The same, yeah. They're dressed the same. I don't. I don't they live in the same house. <sighs> That's just taking it f- way too far. You know, it's it's not uncommon for people. Well, you know, maybe sisters marry brothers. That that's actually in my family. They're not twins, but uh, two sisters on my grandmother's side married two brothers. And uh, you know, well, do they all live in the same house? No, they all live in London, but they don't all live. But they don't in the live same in the same house, house because they're not insane. I'm sorry, that's rude. I mean, these people clearly, you know, they can live their life however they want to. But, uh-huh. uh, whoa. I'm still curious about the Twins Day Festival in Twinsburg. Can you look that up on the old internets? It's in Twinsburg, Ohio. It's the Twins Day Festival. I'm just curious as to what some of the festivities are and some of the uh, some of the things that take place on the Twins Day Festival. And, uh, I, I mean, it's, you know... Just a whole bunch of twins running around in Ohio. Do they have like an yeah, egg egg toss? <laughs> the, <laughs> Let's see. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back a little bit to the uh, to the 2019 festival because they they just had the 2021. It was virtual as as many things are these days. Yeah. Uh, you got a 5K fun walk and race, uh-huh. uh, volleyball. Um. They do a parade. A parade? Yeah. Of what? Twins? Yeah. It's called the Double Take Parade. Oh, come on, man. Dead serious. Uh-huh. Let's see what kind of what kind of contests they have. Um of I mean most of these seem to just be like uh most alike and least alike. <laughs> most alike and least alike yeah they have competitions for uh you know from various age groups you know which twins look the most alike 
mm-hmm. and which ones uh, look the least like. They've got a twins talent show. Oh, good. That's got to be fun. Uh, a wiener roast raffle. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what what that is. But What's that it, mean? You have a wiener roast and then there's a raffle during the wiener roast? I feel like those two things are uh, very distinct. That just yeah, they're like mutually exclusive. I don't. Um, yeah, it's just while the wiener there's a raffle while there's a wiener roast. Uh huh. Um, they give away some prizes. Uh, yeah, that's that's it. I just like the t- I just like the name of it. The wiener roast raffle. They've got a golf outing. Wow. Um, let's see what kind of entertainment. See you how you see how confused the caddies can be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> out there on the links with a bunch of twins. That's going to be a tough one. But yeah, no, I mean, they've got a nice scholarship. Yeah, you get a twin scholarship. To where? Uh, schools and stuff. You know. <laughs> what, what else would you get a scholarship for? But does it say where or no? No, it's not for specific. You just get scholarship from maybe college. Let's let's uh, Let's see. The Andrew R. Miller Memorial Scholarship. Uh-huh. It's just uh, all right. I'm just you know, concerned about the wiener roast. Yeah, uh, a non-renewable award of fifteen hundred dollars will be presented to, each year to an individual that meets the requirements. Mm. Individual. So That's only one twin. Maybe so the- wait, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> what about the other twin? <laughs> they're screwed, they're screwed. One twin just says to the other twin, "Hey, I got a scholarship. Shut up." Yeah, this is uh, applicant eligibility. Twins are multiples that have been registered and attended three of the last five festivals. Wow, you got to put in a lot of commitment. You got to go to at least. Well, it's three. a sc- it's a it's a scholarship. I know, but I figured to be maybe academic merit or 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 you know community service. You got to come to the Twins Festival, man, the Twin Day Festival. And well, you have to also be a, a resident of the city of Twinsburg. Oh, really? Yeah, and Twinsburg Township, Ohio. Is the t- is the town just twins? Is it, See, is Twinsburg, Ohio, just filled with twins? I'm is actually, that is that is that the deal? That's a terrifying prospect. Um, an entire town <laughs> filled with just twins. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, a recipient. You know, you must be going into their second, third, or fourth year of a two-year, four-year post-secondary education. So that's college, technical, or trade school, uh, or a recipient entering their first year. Uh, of post-secondary education after hiatus from graduating high school. I still don't think it's fair that one twin gets ignored and the other twin gets a scholarship. I wonder if they have to, like, fight for it. Yeah, I'm sure they do, like Thunderdome. Yeah. <laughs> Break a pool cue in half. A little master blaster on top yeah. of your head. <laughs> Put your twin on top of your head and your master blaster. I think that's a terrible thing to pit two twins against each other. <laughs> it's a terrible thing. It's a reality show right there, man. Oh, that's a reality show. I think that's a million-dollar idea. Yeah. I like that. Hey, listen, TLC, jump right on it, man. They already had the special, <laughs> Our Twin Sane Wedding. T- yeah, Twin Sane, indeed. See? Oh, God. Those people at TLC, man. Is is You know, doesn't TLC stand for the Learning Channel? That's what it used to be. It was the le- Yes, the TLC stands for the Learning Channel. Well, and I will say, I want to give them a pat on the back for... They've kind of normalized a lot of stuff. Show like they had, didn't they have a uh, little people, big world? I think so. I think was one of them. You know, it's it's nice to see 
you know, give people an idea is like, hey, just because you're a little person doesn't mean you have like a like you have a normal life. There is normal people, so I got to give them credit for that. But uh, there's a lot of weird stuff on TLC. My, my six hundred pound life or something like. Oh that. yeah, and they also have like you know, I have a nine pound scrotum. They have stuff like that. Those are. <laughs> I'm not, not kidding. I'm not kidding. I have a nine pound scrotum. They have stuff like that. There's specials like that. I remember I took I a picture. Of my, I, I took a picture with my phone of my menu grid uh, on my TV, and there were like five shows in a row that were all about you know misshapen private parts, and there was back to back to back to back on TLC. That's what I call quality programming. Yeah, I have a nine pound scrotum. That's the that was the. <laughs> no, but believe it won an Emmy. I'd put that on my Tinder profile. Pre- prestige Emmy prestige emmy for uh, can oh, you imagine can you imagine like bob newhart's up there on the emmy stage and he's like and the uh, yeah. <laughs> the emmy for best documentary, documentary series yeah. goes to my nine pounds scrotum yeah <laughs> why did you pick bob newhart good i wanted to pick one of the more wholesome people that yeah. i can think of in okay. television and is also still alive all right i love bob newhart okay so we have some facts about uh, twins. And if you're a twin or you want to jump in, it's 312-981-7200. Uh, we should attend. Well, the Twins Day Festival already happened. It was it was, it was was uh, viral then, right? It was uh, virtual. Virtual, yeah. yeah. I, viral and virtual well, are not interchangeable, Nick. Could be. Could go viral. It could go viral. So, all right. Let's take a quick break, and we'll talk more about twins. And if you want to jump in, it's 312-981-7200. We're also going to talk about eight completely useless inventions. Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago, here till 4 o'clock, as we are every weekday morning, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. I'm here overnight, dude. Then at 4 o'clock, we head over to Bradley Place to the TV side of WGN, get some early morning news from that great team, and then the great Bob Surratt at 5 o'clock for your morning drive. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. If you're a twin, we'd love to hear from you. Um... We've got some interesting facts about twins. Find them fascinating. I do. I went to high school with uh, with a set of twins that were in my uh, in my class my in my in my grade. Uh, yeah, it was it was always interesting. You could, you could actually you could kind of tell them apart. They were they were identical twins, but I mean they I guess they, they I think they wore their hair differently. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, you know, I mean, they didn't confuse any of the teachers. I don't know if they ever swapped out or if anybody ever done that, you know, the stories of, uh, of twins, you know, you know, you know, uh, fooling people by swapping each other out, like, uh, going in to, to work, pretending to be the other or doing, doing doing stuff pretending to be the other you can get away with a lot would you do that if you were if you had a, an identical twin would you switch out and fool people hmm i i maybe you kind of have to yeah you kind of have to people are going to expect it 
they're going to want to see you do silly things, twin things. Yeah, like Dead Ringers. Yeah, that's real real silly stuff <laughs> in that film. Too. The twin uh, OBGYNs, right? Twin gynecologist. Twin gynecologist, yes, that's it. Yes, who develop... Uh, who develop special tools for <laughs> for the ladies that they attend to. Took a girl on a first date to see that movie. Did not go well. <laughs> Here's what it says. The number of twins in the U.S. is multiplying. According to a 2012 report from the National Center of Health Statistics, their birth weight rose 76% from 1980 to 2009. This could be due to the fact that more women over the age of 30 are having children and more are using fertility drugs and assisted reproductive technology, both of which increase the likelihood of multiple gestation. As many as one in three women who use fertility treatments may become pregnant with twins. Uh, The result, as many as one in 30 babies born in the United States is now a twin. A recent report published in the New England Journal of Medicine uh, says that by 2011, the incidence of triple... Triplet or higher order births decreased by 29% at its peak in 1998. Researchers attributed this trend in part to changes in medical guidelines aimed at reducing multiple births, resulting in IVF. Uh, A recent study found that other fertility treatments, such as uh, ovulation-inducing medications or insemination, have overtaken IVF as the main source of multiples resulting from fertility treatment. Um, with so many twins among us, we thought we would celebrate some of the most interesting facts about twins. So we're going to get to that in a second. Here's Beth on WGN. Go ahead, Beth. Hi, Nick. Hi. Go ahead. My little, my, my younger sisters were twins. Okay. And I was, I was going to call you and tell you that they did that in kindergarten. They switched classes. Oh, they did. I go, Yeah. So when you started saying that, I'm like, man, I should have called them five minutes ago. But, yeah, they switched kindergarten classes. Did it work out? Did they fool them? Uh, I think my mom got called to the school. I'm pretty, I'm pretty oh, sure. Okay. All right. Well, at least they did that. They, they did <laughs> that when they were. She could identify them because the teachers started to catch on, but they weren't really sure. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. Little Little sisters doing it. All right, Beth, thanks. Bye-bye. All right. That's a little young to be pulling that kind of stunt, right? Kindergarten? What are you, five when you're in kindergarten? Yeah, five or six. Five and six, usually. So you're devious at the age of five? You're going to be like, hey, let's switch out. I'm five. I don't know when the last time you were around children was, but they're pretty devious. At five? They can be. They can't. Well, not especially when you got these twins. You know, you, you always hear stories about twins kind of having this sort of telepathy sort of thing like they kind of know what the other one's thinking well that yeah i mean i've i've heard that's an actual thing yeah they just they just kind of know yeah they just kind of know so maybe it's two brains hatching up a a sneaky plan and if they're aware of the fact that they look exactly like one another which usually by age six you kind of have this awareness i'm guessing if you're a twin that people confuse you that people might not know which one is which uh when i hung out at ricochets there was a a bartender at Ricochet's who had a twin brother, mm-hmm. and he was a manager at the Davis. Wow. So and, uh, right down the street, yeah. Right down the street, yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I went to the Davis and didn't pay, yeah. <laughs> didn't pay to see anything. I saw a ton of movies at the Davis. I would drink over at Ricochet's and go right over to the Davis to see movies. Mm-hmm. 
But anyway, uh, and they had, you know, like one had really long hair and the other didn't. Mm-hmm. So, they, I mean, you could, t- I mean, they looked, you know, obviously their faces, they looked exactly the same. Yeah. But they, they like to have something distinct. Yeah. No, they were, I mean, you could tell, I mean, you knew which one was which. Yeah. You I, never, I, I, it was I, never one of those, never, never, never confusing at all. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing with the girls that I went to high school with, the uh, twin girls I went to high school with. Mm-hmm. Wendy and Cindy. Yeah, it always happens. I always see, seem to have like similar names. Like yeah. the your your buddies who were the bartender working at the Davis. What were their names? Uh, Sean and Ryan. Oh, Irish, I assume. I think so. Okay, not sure. Yeah, that'd be like having Sean and John or something like that. No, they didn't do that. No. Yeah. Thank goodness. Lipsy and Pipsy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, how about this? Identical twins do not have identical fingerprints. You might think that because identical twins supposedly share almost the same DNA, they must also have uh, ident- identical fingerprints. That's not true. Fingerprints are not solely generated based on DNA. When identical twins are conceived, they start out with the same fingerprints. But during uh, weeks 6 through 13 of pregnancy, as the babies start to move, they each touch the uh, sack and unique ridges and lines are formed on each twin's hand, and the result is different fingerprints. Did you think the twins had uh, the had same the, the same fingerprints? Um, I don't know. I guess uh, thinking about it, probably I would have thought that. Yeah, sure. If they're genetically identical, they would probably have the same fingerprints. You would think, yeah, yeah. That's not the case. Probably that's good though, because then. Uh, you know, it makes things easier well, for sure. pl- law enforcement. It's easier when you get arrested. <laughs> you can't they can't just be like, wait, who is it? Which which one, one is, is this one here? Yeah. Uh, how about this? Massachusetts has the most twin births of any state in America. Wonder why? What is it about Massachusetts that uh, there's something in the water in Boston? What is it? Something in the beer, it's probably like the chowder. It's the chowder. Uh, at nearly 4.5 for every 100 live births, Massachusetts has the highest rate of twin births. Connecticut and New Jersey follow with 4.2 twins per every 100 births. Researchers hypothesize that more multiple births occur in affluent towns outside of Boston because of a higher concentration of wealthier women who have pursued careers. Uh, and these women are more likely to attempt to have children at a later age and seek reproductive assistance. And the state with the lowest rate of twin births is uh, New Mexico. Wonder why that is. So the most twins, Massachusetts. The least twins, New Mexico. You got a lot of twins in Massachusetts. That's a lot of twins. Well, have you ever heard of this place in Brazil called uh, Candido Godoy? No. Uh, I th- I, I'm probably pronouncing that in- incorrectly, but it's this place in Brazil that has a strangely high population of twins. It's uh, And it's like this kind of ethnically homogenous population of t- German descent. And the kind of conspiracy theory is that uh, Joseph Mengel, who was uh, part of the Nazi party. Who Mengele? Was, yeah, Mengele. That's it, Mengele. Uh, would do, he did all these kind of experiments on twins uh, during not the time of Nazi Germany. And the theory is that he went to Brazil and continued these experiments in this place in Brazil. Oh, that's... That, it, okay, well, that's sort of the plot of the boys from Brazil. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And so that's that's like one of the potential... 
mm. uh, you know, explanations that some people have come up with, but most likely it's something else. But hey, it's interesting to think about. Yeah. It's weird, this just randomly high population of twins in one area. Yeah. So Massachusetts, though, in America, Massachusetts holds the record for most twins. I, I like that. something in the chowder, man. And then the uh, least is New Mexico. So, all right. We got more facts about twins. If you're a twin or you uh, know a twin and you want to jump in with your thoughts, uh, the Team Hawkbird phone line is open at 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. More twin talk. Uh, right here on 720 WGN. This is the day of the expanding man. All right. Hey, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Live in the Skyline studio here till 4 o'clock. Uh, coming up, we've got some uh, classic comedy. We always play some uh, highlights from the Johnny Carson Show. You can watch the Johnny Carson Show every night on Antenna TV. Highly recommend it. And every morning at two thirty, we play some classic comedy Carson. And uh, we got some Rodney Dangerfield, vintage Rodney Dangerfield from nineteen seventy nine that we're going to hear. Hey, we're talking about twins, um, and uh, we're also going to be talking about completely pointless inventions and ridiculous job titles as well. Uh, and at any time you want to join us, it's 312-981-7200. The news is next from Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. Say hello to Sylvia on WGN. Hi, Sylvia. Hi. Yeah, I'm the mother of twins, and I have mere-image twins. What which is means one's left-handed, one's right-handed, one parts their hair this way. And they're so identical that I would mix. They got mixed up a lot as babies. I took the wrong one to the doctor for a cold, the well one when I was at home. But now that they're women, they're they're nothing alike. They do they just don't look alike. But the lady that wrote her thesis on my girls, she couldn't get over how identical they were. Yeah. Even see their fingerprints. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. So, but the, now they don't. Uh, you you can tell them apart easily. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. That's but interesting. while they were in school, they would fool everybody. They did, huh? Oh, did you terrible. get did you get a lot of phone calls from the school saying, "Hey, you got to your your daughters really kind of have to knock this out." Yes, because one was more athletically, you know, better, and the other one, so the coaches could tell. Oh, I see. But I see. Uh, no, they got by with it for a long time. What's it like, just in general? What, what's it like being the mother of twins? Very difficult. Yeah, they would have yeah. their own twin talk. I didn't know what they were saying. They had their own way. They didn't need me. They had each other. Yes, very different. Wow. Okay. All it right. It was difficult. Yeah. And, uh, and we belonged to a mother's a twins club here. It was called Delightful Duets in Elmhurst. Oh, is that and right? I so it, there was a club for, for mothers of twins? Oh, absolutely. And it was fabulous. It was moral support, trading clothes, having picnics. You know, looking at all the other twins, yeah. it was a lot of fun. That's a really cool. That's very, very cool. Is that still around, Sylvia? Yes, yes. Oh. There are a lot of twin clubs for mothers, yes. That's I joined a, when mine were 13 weeks old, yeah. and it was the only thing that saved my sanity. Because <laughs> well, I'm glad, you're, I'm, glad you're, I'm glad you're okay, Sylvia. Well, I have doubts. <laughs> <laughs> have, have a great morning, Sylvia. <laughs> Okay, thank Take you. Care. Boy, that must be something. I like that. I didn't know that there were like clubs or support groups for 
you know, parents or mothers of twins. It well, makes sense. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, not only the uh, I like what you mentioned, the twin talk, that kind of. Well, that's a, that's a thing. It's totally a thing. Yeah. Right? No, no, that's a thing. The guys, the, the, the ricochet guys used to do it all the time. Yeah. And and on top of that, I think the support also comes from the fact that I think a lot of these a lot of these moms thought they were just having one baby. Yeah. And uh having two young that children that young, two infants, that's a lot of work. It is. That's a lot no, of work. No, it's it is. It's a lot of work. So I'm glad Could you imagine been... like having quadruplets? Oh God. My goodness. And it happens. Oh yes you it know? does. Do you remember the Octo Mom? Yeah. That was such a... I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I couldn't believe that that was a story I was experiencing yeah. in real she time. She was a weirdo. Yeah. I mean, that was really medical, right? Oh, yeah, 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 there was yeah, a, yeah. It was I mean, kind it was, of medically... This yeah. wasn't just an no, accident. No, 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 no. She did it on purpose. You so, know, I, I get loving kids and wanting to be a mom, and, you know, it's a blessing, but good Lord. Yeah, no, it's crazy. That was a crazy story. Completely crazy. Here's Mark on WGN. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, I've been partially sighted my whole life, and not only have I usually been able to tell identical twins apart, but I've sometimes had to be told that they were identical twins because not only their voices, but also their personalities were different. Now, two or three exceptions would be there were, I forget they were. Tri- I forget if they were triplets or quadruplets, but uh, they were on the Dr. Phil show, and I couldn't tell them apart, uh, and... There were a couple of twin ladies who wrote a book about being twins, and they were on the Gary Lee Wright show when he was still working at WGN. And uh, I I actually got a chance to talk with them privately off the air, and it was kind of hard for me to distinguish their voices over the phone, and it was harder on that line than it was on the radio line for some reason. But uh, my, um, my uncle... My, my my grandfather Clarence and my uncle Clyde, I, I could tell them apart easily because their voices and personalities were different. Yeah. Well that's that's a, you know, that's that's part of it. I mean some some twins are exactly the same, tw- some twins are completely different. It just varies. That's what that's what happens. Uh thank you, Mark. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. About twenty five percent of identical twins develop directly facing each other, meaning that they become exact reflections of one another. That's uh, Sylvia was saying about her daughters. According to about.com, they may be right and left-handed, have birthmarks on opposite sides of their bodies, or have hair whorls that swirl in opposite directions. This occurs when the twins split from one fertilized egg more than a week after conception. And that was what uh, our our caller Sylvia was talking about that. Uh, While identical twins derive from one fertilized egg that contains a single set of genetic instructions, also known as a genome, uh, it's still possible for identical twins to have serious differences in their genetic makeup. Geneticist Carl Bruder of the University of Alabama at Birmingham, Birmingham uh, closely studied the genomes of 19 sets of adult identical twins and found that in some sets, one twin's DNA differed uh, in the number of copies of each gene it had. Normally, every person carries two copies of every gene, one inherited from each parent, but Bruder explains that there are regions in the genome that deviate from that two-copy rule, and these regions can carry anywhere from zero to 14 copies of a gene. Wow. Uh, let's see. Here is uh, Mokina Tom. Hey, Tom. Morning, morning, Nick. How are you? All right. What's up? I have listened to you for many years and love your shows. Thank you. 
fantastic. And I hate to be the one-upper here, but my wife and I were blessed 25 years ago with triplets. Wow. That were that were born on St. Patrick's Day. Oh. And uh, it, it truly is a blessing. And my wife also belonged to a, a multiples club out in the south suburbs, which really was a lifesaver. I bet. You know, I it, bet. I mean, know, it's, it's got to be crazy. Immediately you have three babies. I mean, that's just, well, it's, it's got to be nuts. Well, let me ask you this. Did you know ahead of time that you guys were going to have twins or triplets, or, or was it a surprise? We, no, we did. We did find out, and uh, one of the, you know, it really has been a blessing, and people are blessed who have multiples, and, sure. you know, it truly is truly is something special. And, 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 and the strange thing about it is they just, the, our triplets are 25 years old. They recently graduated from college. So the three of them, I have, we have two girls and a boy, they went to three different schools. One went to Mizzou in Missouri. Sure. Another one was a Hawkeye in Iowa. And the other one went to Illinois State. So three different schools, three <laughs> different states. And they all graduated on the same day. Wow. From college. Wow. And, and people say, well, what'd you do? I said, I went to my favorites. And they said, your favorites, your son? I said, yes. They said, why? Because he's your son? I said, no. Because he's the only one who saved the old man any money by going to a junior college the first two years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So he was awarded, awarded with my presence, and my wife went to Iowa first, watched that daughter walk off the stage, and hightailed it to Missouri to see the other gra- daughter graduate wow. just, uh, just a, a couple hours later. Wow, that's nuts. That's really crazy. Hey, Tom, thanks Fun, for the call, cool man. Stuff. All Thank right, you, Nick. take care. Yeah, he seems to be having fun with his triplets, taking it with stride. He says he's blessed. That's pretty nice. That's really nice. Uh, here's Lynn on WGN. Hi, Lynn. Uh, um, my husband's passed away now, but he was a twin, and they did weird stuff when we were dating. We would double a lot with my, the twins. You know, if I sat in the front seat with my date, I didn't know if I sat in the front seat going home. I was with his brother. <laughs> so they would pull those kind of stunts? All the time. Yeah. Meaning I would kiss him goodnight at the door. Wow. All right. Um, they did that all the time. But after we got married, they would call each other's bosses at work. Their voices sounded exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them, they were both bald. One got a toupee and one got a... And, my brother-in-law had a toupee and a mustache. My husband was bald with no mustache. And we decided my husband didn't need to get the toupee or grow the mustache because he knew how awful his brother looked. Right, right. Okay. All right. Thanks, Lynn. He had a great time with it. Okay. Thanks, Lynn. It seemed, okay. to, be, it seemed to be a good sense of humor among twins and triplets and stuff. Here's Doc on WGN. Hey, Doc. Hey, Nick. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this on the air. I happen to have a 67-year-old twin sister. Oh, I didn't know that. Our, our names are Daryl Allen and Carol Ellen. Okay. And I was uh, telling Tom, did you know Cher has an identical twin sister? I did know that, yes. Cher and Cher-like? Yeah, no, <laughs> exactly, yes. And uh, I used to date a uh, Siamese twin that was joined at the small of her back. But she broke up with me. She said uh, she couldn't trust me the moment her back was turned. Oh, you know, Jeez, I'll throw myself out. Yeah, thank you, Doc. Let's give, let's give Doc the hook. What do you? What do you... I like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give that a, a solid B plus. Uh huh. 
I'm sure my dad would like that joke. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if twin. Uh, you mentioned the sense of humor. They must tell a ton of twin jokes. To I mean, no, they got to have a great sense of humor. I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, the the the, the twins that I knew. When I hung out at Ricochet's, those two guys, they had great sense of humor. Yeah, because, I mean, you get it all the time. Everybody's going to, you know, ask yeah. you dumb questions. It's the same questions over and over again. So I'm guessing you got to have a nice uh, a nice sense of humor. Yeah, especially if you're going to fool people. That w- That's the main advantage. I really, I really, if I, you if I cover my, you go out and on, you go cover a date for me. Yeah, or, um, you know, go sit this test for me or yeah. something like that. Although I'd probably try to strategically fail if I was that twin. Oh, that's just... nice. Real nice of you. <laughs> uh, all right. We got more facts about twins here that we're going to get to. And if you want to jump in, it's 312-981-7200. We're also going to talk about uh, completely pointless inventions and some ridiculous job titles and more. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Uh, a little bit more facts about twins, some fascinating stuff and some funny stuff about twins. If you're a twin or you know a twin or you're a triplet or you're a quadruplet, <laughs> or a quintuplet. Or a quintuplet. Give us a call, 312-981-7200, and we'll get, jump back into it after the news. next week uh nick DeGilio here on 720 michael mcdonald man <laughs> hey uh how you doing thursday morning it's nick DeGilio. we're here until four o'clock as we are every weekday uh night slash morning 11 p.m to 4 a.m um, if you would like to join us on the Team Hochberg phone line, it's 312-981-7200, 312-981-7200. We're talking about twins and some of the facts about twins that are pretty cool and kind of strange and pretty awesome. If you know a twin or you are a twin and you want to jump in, it's 312-981-7200. Tom, do you know any twins? Did you know any twins? Um, I knew some fraternal twins. I, I, I want to say I knew some. Yeah, I actually did know a couple identical twins. Um, in the theater world when I was in high school. Mm. Yeah. God, I haven't talked to them in years, though. But, uh, yeah, I knew, I knew some twins. Hey, you want to talk about an understudy? Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Makes it significantly easier. Yeah. But I will say, between you and me, one of them was definitely the better actor. Ah. Uh, okay. How about this little fact? Mothers of twins may live longer. Ooh. A study published in the Journal of Proceedings uh, of the Royal Society B focused on the population of women in the 1800s in Utah and found that women who gave birth to twins were very strong and healthy to begin with, so they were likely to have live and long lives. As live science writer Stephanie Pappas explains it, twins could be an evolutionary adaptation in which healthy moms take the chance to pass on double their genes at once. However, because the data only includes women who conceived twins naturally, IVF was all obviously not used in the 1800s. The findings are not definitive. Tall women are more likely to have twins. What? 
How tall is your fiance? She's tall, right? She's tall. She's like five ten. <laughs> so she's not like uh, Elizabeth Debicki tall, but uh, yeah, she's not like Allison Janney tall. No, no. But uh, it's something I've wor- I've I don't know if worried is the right word, but uh, it's something I've thought about. But I have no I have no twins in my family. And yeah. I feel like that significantly it's 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 got to be kind of passed down. But who knows? Who knows? Who? Hey, man. You don't know. Never know. Uh, so tall women are more likely to have twins. Gary Steinman, um, an attending physician at Long Island Jewish Medical Center, discovered that taller women have more insulin-like growth factor, IGF, a protein that is released from the liver in response to growth hormones that stimulate growth in the shaft of longer bones. Having higher levels of IGF results in increased uh, sensitivity of the ovaries, thus increasing a woman's chance of ovulating. According to Steinman, the more IGF a woman has, the greater chance she has of becoming pregnant with twins because IGF governs the rate of spontaneous twinning. Spontaneous twinning? I was in that band. Yeah, man, spontaneous twinning. It's it's actually not a terrible name for a band. I don't think so, yeah. (laughs) But it has to be all twins, you know. Yeah. They have to be spontaneous. Are there any musical twins? Were the Righteous Brothers twins? No. 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 Righteous Brothers, that wasn't even their name. It's not a real name. Wait, so you're trying to tell me that the Righteous Brothers- made up name. Their last name were not Righteous? (laughs) It was made up. My God. Yeah. Hold on. I got to think about this for a second. Yeah. Um, women who eat a lot of dairy are more prone to be conceiving twins. Well, luckily, she, uh, my fiance just switched to uh, almond milk. So oh, I think we'll be all right. Don't mention that around Orion. Find almond juice, whatever makes no. him feel better. Or- None or- of it? Orion will yell at you. You can't milk an almond. <laughs> you got a real dairy, man. You can't mess around. Don't be messing around with that nonsense. Well, you can't milk a poppy either, but that's how you get milk of the poppy, a.k.a. heroin. Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Listen, uh, I'll, I'll fight him on it. I'll fight Big O on that. Oh, you don't want to fight Big O. Come on, man. Are you out of your mind? Maybe just just enough. I I don't need to win. I just got to go the distance. You can't go the distance. It's you can't. It's it's futile. It's Orion Samuelson, man. I understand that. No, I don't think you do. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. I really don't think you understand right. that the man is Orion Samuelson. I'm he's gonna, Orion Samuelson. I'm not man. there to challenge him on the price of soybeans. Don't I know care. he's got. That. You can't challenge him on anything. He's Orion Samuelson. Come on, man. I think he would enjoy the The man is a living legend. I understand. I think he would enjoy the sparring. You know, he's he's the old bull. I'm the young buck. I would never even attempt to spar with Orion. I hear he has a mean right hook. He's, you know, he's Orion Samuelson. You just don't mess with Orion Samuelson. All right. So another study done by Steinman and published in the Journal of Reproductive Medicine found that women who eat more dairy products may increase their chances of conceiving twins. Steinman tested this by comparing twin rates from vegan mothers and non-vegan mothers. Those who consumed dairy were five times more likely to have twins. This is because cows, like humans, 
also produce IGF in response to growth hormone and release it into their blood. Then it gets released into their milk, which women consume. So I consume a lot of dairy. I think uh, regular listeners know that I enjoy milk quite a bit, and I drink it with every meal. Um, so I've got some uh, IGF flying around in my system because of the, <laughs> the amount of milk that I drink. So uh, more fun facts about twins. If you want to join us, it's 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. So, learning a ton of stuff here that I didn't know about twins this morning. And, uh, all right, let's take a uh, a quick break, and then uh, we'll wrap up the twin talk, and we're going to jump into uh, uh, completely pointless inventions and ridiculous job titles. That's all coming up right here on 720 WGN. Also... We're going to go back in time to 1979 for a Carson comedy classic, the one, the only, the great Rodney Dangerfield. That's coming up at 2.30. All right, uh, break, 312-981-7200. You get a shiver in the dark, it's raining in the park, but meantime, Right. Dire Straits, man. Gotta love those guys. Uh, hey! Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Coming up in just a few minutes after 2.30, we'll go back in time to 1979 for a Carson comedy classic, the one, the only, Rodney Dangerfield. Okay, we've been talking about facts about twins and learning about twins. Um, there's a little fact for you. It's possible that twins can have different dads. What? In 2009, Maya Washington gave birth to twins who have two, who have different fathers, which is said to be a one in a million occurrence. Dr. Hilda Hutcherson, clinical professor of obstru- in gynecology at the Columbia University, explained to today how it happened. Normally. A woman releases one egg each month. For Washington, there were two. At the same time, the mom had intercourse with two different men in the span of five days uh, because sperm can remain alive in reproductive tract for that long. Each man's sperm fertilized one of the eggs. Voila, two babies, two dads. Okay, that's just weird. That is just weird. <laughs> Um, wow, I never knew that. That's, uh, geez. Okay, how about this? Twins interact with each other in the womb. In 2011, researchers at Umberto Castellello of the University of Podva uh, in Italy studied 3D videos of twins in their mother's womb. After 14 weeks of gestation, twins were seen reaching for each other. By 18 weeks, they touched each other more often than they touched their own bodies. The researchers said that the analysis of the recordings revealed that the twins made distinct gestures towards each other and were as gentle to the other twins' delicate eye area as they were when they touched their own. Oh. 
All right. Here's Mary on WGN. Hi, Mary. Good morning. How are you today? All right. What's up? Well, I was telling your producer that I'm a mother of twins, and I'm very happy to know that I'm going to live a long life. <laughs> yeah. I am now 88 years old. Ah, there you go. My twins are 60, and they do, they're identical. They're sensitive to whatever's happening to each other without being told. And when they were infants, their dad could not tell them apart. <laughs> could you? Oh, well, pretty much, yes. <laughs> it's quite a job, I'll tell you that. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. So the, was uh, did they, the, the, the day as they were growing up, like teenagers and stuff like that, did they ever fool anybody and do a switcheroo? Oh, uh, I think they did pretty much with the boyfriends. Uh, they married best friends and things like that, and... And maybe that dairy thing is the reason why people aren't having twins too much now, because they don't drink actual milk, or yeah. they don't eat good ice cream, and right. whatever happens in life happens. Yeah, I guess so. Well, congratulations, uh, Mary. Thank you so much. Okay. I look forward to listening to you thank quite you. a bit. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. All right. There's Mary, mother of twins. It's got to be a challenge. It's got to be a very specific challenge to be the mother of twins or father of twins and triplets or things like that. Uh, Here's Lisa on WGN. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Nick. How are you? All right. What's up? I just want to say I love your show. Thank you. Long time listener. Thank you. Long time. Appreciate it. I'm an identical twin. Oh, you are? I am. I am. We are still to this day identical. What's it like? Give me, give me the uh, the rundown on what it was like to grow up as a twin, an identical twin. Well, you're breaking up. But I don't have anything else to compare it to because I've always had a twin. Yeah. So it's hard to say. Um, we're night and day. We're complete opposites. Still very identical, like I said. My parents dressed us alike probably till junior high. And then we had our own, you know, you start getting your own personalities. But we were so alike as kids, as babies, we had an aunt have to get my mom and dad name tags, and we were pinned probably (laughs) so we could talk by our names. (laughs) Had to get name name tags. That's a a good solution. That's a good solution right there. Yeah. We're Lisa and Lori. We trust alike. Um, we hated going into stores when we were little because everybody stopped showing. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I bet. We yeah. Now, did you ever pull the old switcheroo with your sister? We did in junior high for a whole day and got away with it. Did you really? Yeah, we did. <laughs> we did. Yeah. So it's fun. It's a fun experience. We are, like I said, complete opposite to this day. But to this day, my parents, when we call them, Cannot tell us apart on the phone because we sound so much alike. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, what do you guys do for a living? I am a stay-at-home mom, and she's a caretaker. Oh, okay. All right. Well, and our children don't really look alike, but no. everybody has that too. But no, no, they don't look alike. Okay. No. All right. That's great, Lisa. Thanks for the uh, insight. You're welcome. Okay. You have a good evening, yep. Nick. Okay. Take care. They pulled it off, man. Junior high all day. There you go. A, a full day of tricking the teachers and everybody involved. Mm. Twinning. There you go, Lisa. There you go. <laughs>
Uh, here's Randy on WGN. Go ahead, Randy. Yes, uh, my sister's son had a set of twins, girls, mm-hmm. and they were born premature. Okay. And they were in the Iowa City Hospital for like six months, and then they brought them home. And, and as they've grown up, they have a special language that they speak to each other and they make gestures. And and now they're like 15. And to this day, uh, my sister, who has taken care of them a lot, and, and uh, the father of the twins, they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, no, there's that's a common thing. The, that's a common thing that the twins have the have a language all their own that they can understand. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it's a common. And as they got older, you, you, you know, they expanded their language. I mean, they learned you know English and all that stuff. But the, but but even when they were like three or four, they the other one knew what the other one wanted. Yeah, it's fascinating. It was really weird. It is weird. It it's was fa- really weird. It's fascinating. All right, thank you. All right, Randy, take care. Um. Some conjoined twins can feel and taste what the other one does. Uh, Susan Dominius wrote a piece for the New York Times about two conjoined twins, Krista and Tatiana Hogan, who are attached at the head uh, and part of the brain that acts as a sort of a neural switchboard, filters out sensory input. Scientists have hypothesized that this connection could result in one Hogan sister being able to taste and feel what the other twin is experiencing and to understand each other's thoughts. The doctor spent a considerable amount of time with the twins for her story, recording these amazing observations. The parents, Their parents noticed that one girl's vision was angled away from the television. She was laughing at the images flashing in front of her sister's eyes. The sensory exchange researchers believe extends to the girl's taste buds. Krista likes ketchup. Tatiana does not. Something the family discovered when Tatiana tried to scrape the condiment off of her own tongue, even though she wasn't eating it. Wow. That's amazing, right? Yeah. That's so crazy. And then the the last uh, little bit of information is 40% of twins invent their own languages. So that's what you know. Randy was talking about. Yeah, they got their own language. You can't understand what the hell they're talking about. You know, I was trying to find uh, some videos, maybe of people, you know, uh, videotaping twins uh, doing their twin speak. Yeah, and the best one I could find was um, these two twin babies who are like literally talking to each other, and it's like it's you know it's nothing. It's their babies, but they clearly understand what the other one is doing. They're mimicking each other's movements. Yeah, they're having a full on conversation. Yeah. And it just it's is fascinating. Totally, yeah. It's fascinating. It's beautiful the way the human mind works. Uh, so these languages are called autonomous languages. Researchers suspect that twin babies use each other as models in developing language when an adult model language is frequently absent. The language consists of inverted words uh, and expressions. The autonomous languages are formed when two very close babies are learning how to speak a real language alongside one another and naturally often play and communicate with each other. While this is more common among twins, since they are more likely to be around each other and developing at the same rate, this phenomenon can also sporadically occur between two babies who are not twins. The made-up languages often disappear soon after childhood once the children have learned a real language. 
I wonder if uh, the twins that we that we were talking about or two in their adult days still have that sort of like language. I mean, there's always yeah. going to be a connection that nobody else has sure. that you're going to have with your twin, but I'm wondering if they still mm-hmm. hang on to that weird language that they came up with when they were kids. Maybe phrases or just little things, little, you know, yeah. uh, things that they might do. I'm going to say probably. I'm going to say well, I would. Maybe, I would yeah. bet. I would bet the connection that the, you know, I mean, we can't even fathom what kind of connection. I mean, I'm not, obviously I'm an only child. Mm-hmm. I don't even have a brother or sister, so... Um, but I can't even fathom what it must be like, mm-hmm. you know, to share sort of a mind. Yeah. Know? I would, I would say with my two younger brothers, there's a little bit of that. You can kind of guess what the other one is thinking. You can kind of look at them and be like, I know what's on their mind, but I guess no more than just knowing someone really well, you know, yeah. like when, when you have a, like your best friend, maybe you've known them since they were, you were both kids. You can always kind of tell what's on someone's mind. But uh, nothing that intense as the twin relationship. It's it's really cool. I love it. Yeah. Fascinating. Really fascinating stuff. Well, there you go. There's some stuff about twins. We're learning about uh, we were learning some stuff about twins this morning, and I want to thank uh, for calling in, talking to some twins and some parents of twins. Yeah, really interesting stuff. Okay. Uh, we're going to break. When we come back, we've got classic Johnny Carson. You can watch the Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV. And we play Carson comedy clips every morning. It's around 2.30. And we're going to play some classic Rodney Dangerfield from the Carson show. And then uh, we're going to jump in and talk about completely pointless inventions and ridiculous job titles and more. Our phone number is 312-981-7200. Carson classic comedy with Rodney Dangerfield coming up. just discussing how much i hate home alone <laughs> and home alone too which is almost as bad but he's lost in new york i remember seeing the screening of home alone too okay it was at the water tower place the water tower theater all right and there's a scene in home alone too where he's the kid uh, macaulay culkin is up on the roof of a building and he's throwing bricks down and hitting Daniel Stern, you know, in the head with bricks that are falling from the top of the building. And uh, the kid in front of me, he was probably about six, five or six with his mom, was horrified. Like he was like crying and covering his eyes with every brick that hit Daniel Stern's head. And his, his his mother just kept saying, oh, no, it's funny. Watch. And pulling his hands away. This kid was traumatized by watching Daniel Stern get smashed in the face with bricks. And his mother was like, no, it's funny. I didn't say anything. I would, you know, it's not my place, but I was appalled. Absolutely appalled. Oh, it's funny. No, watch. Pulling the hands away because the kid was traumatized by watching it. 
No, I hate those movies. Oh, God, I hate them. Well, by the time you get to Home Alone 3, things are... I don't even... Really off the rails. Wasn't there, an, uh, wasn't there a fourth one, too? I want to say yes. And it didn't hit... Macaulay Culkin's not in the third one or the fourth one, right? He's only in the first well, two. no. I mean, he probably aged out by that point. I think one of them has French Stewart in it. What? Which is, uh... Yeah. French Stewart. From Third Rock from the Sun. Yeah. And almost nothing else. You know did. who does agree? He was on um, Mom. Oh. The sitcom. Great. Yeah, he was on Mom. He played like um, the chef at the restaurant that um, Anna Ferris worked at. Oh, I was kind of hoping you'd say, oh, he just played French Stewart. No. And everybody was you ever like, see, who? You ever, <laughs> see, you ever see Jimmy Fallon's French Stewart? Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Uh, Family over Feud. Here, they did it on Family Feud. Well, he also does it for Celebrity Jeopardy. He's like, celebrity, oh, yeah, Celebrity Jeopardy, like, yeah. And there's French Stewart grinning like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a big Jimmy Fallon person, but his hey, French Stewart was super well, funny. Well, no, you know what? He was funny on SNL. Can't stand him now, but I liked him on SNL. That whole, man in the box, get back in the box, that whole thing. Yeah, the morning hey, we're back! I, I love that. <laughs> the morning zoo where it's yeah, one guy. it's hilarious. <laughs> He was good on Weekend Update with Tina. Him and Tina yeah, were great good. on Weekend Update. No, he was, I liked yeah, him on good. SNL. I was yeah, a fan, and now I'm not. The only time I ever watch a show is if he's got a great guest on. And even then, they're just lip syncing or something, or like throwing throwing a bag of flour into a into a basket or some other stupid game. Yeah, it's asinine. Well, he's not doing that now because of the social distancing. Yeah, obviously. I think, people but he are is back pre- in studio. All I'm going to say is that I'd be pretty happy to be socially distanced from Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. All right. All right. Hey, it's time for some Carson Comedy Classics. You can watch the Johnny Carson Show every night on Antenna TV, and I highly recommend you do because it's awesome. And we always play back some comedy classics right here around 2.30. Uh, we'll do some stand-up, or we do some sketches, or we do some interviews. Right now, though, I mean, this guy's a legend. 1979, uh, he killed, seriously, he killed every single time he was on The Tonight Show. He killed. Uh, one of the quintessential stand-up comedians of all time, one of the funniest people that ever lived. Let's hear a little Rodney Dangerfield. Thank you very much. Now I tell you, I'm all right now, but last week I was in rough shape, you know? I mean, the last week my wife, she signed me up for a bridge club. I jump off next Tuesday. I mean, last week was rough. Are you kidding? Last week I looked up my family tree. Two dogs were using it. <laughs> I tell you, I can't relax, you know? Well, the other night I was in a place I felt like having a few drinks. I went over to the bartender and I said, surprise me. He showed me a naked picture of my wife. <laughs> you know, are you kidding? My wife is always something. Her father just died. She had his body frozen. Every time I take a snack, he falls out of the refrigerator. <laughs> My wife can't do nothing right Well, last week she cracked up the car She went into a tree She said it wasn't her fault She blew the horn (laughs) Well, what a driver she is Over the dashboard There's a pair of shoes hanging They belong to the last guy she hit (laughs) You're kidding Oh, one night she went out Some guy stole the car I said to her Did you see what he looked like? She told me she got the license plate number I tell you what, me, nothing comes easy. 
Well, last week I went to the track and I shot off the opening gun and they killed my horse. <laughs> Now, last week I got stuck, too. I bought a new book, A Hundred Ways to Make Love. I ended up in traction. It was a misprint. <laughs> I never had any luck with girls anyway. I know I'm ugly. I went to a freak show to let me in for nothing. <laughs> My wife, she don't go for me either. And when she gave birth, I asked if I should be in a room with her. She said, what for? When I got pregnant, you wanted a room with me. <laughs> I tell you, since I'm a kid, women always gave me a hard time. My mother never breastfed me. She told me she liked me as a friend. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding? Oh, my mother had morning sickness after I was born. <laughs> I tell you, when I was a kid, I got no respect at all. You kid, no respect from anybody, anybody. You kidding? The time I was lost on a beach and a cop had me look for my parents. I said to the cop, you think we'll find him? He said, I don't know, kid, there's so many places they could hide. <laughs> my old man, he didn't help either. The time I was kidnapped, they sent back a piece of my finger. He said he wanted more proof. <laughs> man, I was a kid, I went through plenty. Well, my uncle's dying wish, he wanted me on his lap. He was in the electric chair. <laughs> Ah, it's the same thing today, no respect. Well, last week I was going to jump out my window. They called a priest to talk to me. He said, on your mark. One of these days you're going to get respect and your livelihood is over. You know that. Oh, yeah. Isn't it? Yes, that's really nice. It's a great crowd here. It's really nice. How you been, John? I'm okay. fine, Ronnie. Good to see you again. Good. Nice seeing you. Always have a good time out here. Mr. Really? Mason, nice seeing you. Yeah, how are you? Good. Well, what's new in your life? What's new in my life? Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. Nothing new, sir. Just trying to keep busy. That's yeah. all. Working around, you know. Trying to keep busy. Uh, <clears throat> pardon me. Sure, it's all right. Uh, Nothing. Emphysema. Your health is... <laughs> now, I, uh... Now I'll be back in New York, you know, tomorrow night. New York Club? I'll be at the club, yeah. I'll be there Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at the club, working there again, Deja Fields. Then I'll be, uh, I'm going up to New England Way, New you England know, way. next Tuesday, yes, New England Way. I'll be in Cohasset. Cohasset. Have you heard of that one? Sure. Yeah, that's uh, right outside of Boston there. Pardon me. Mm. And uh, I'll be there August. Yeah. <laughs> it could have been worse. <laughs> I'll be up there August 7th through 11th at the South Shore Music Circus. South Very Shore fascinating. Music. You're going to be up that way too, aren't you? I'm going to play Framingham, man. Yeah, and the uh, Chateau de Ville. Chateau de Ville. That's, That's nice. Right. You, you like it up there. Nice people up there, Johnny. Uh -huh. In fact, I have a friend of mine getting touched up there. He's a good guy. He's uh -huh. a good guy to know. He runs an all-night crap game. He's really a... Oh. <clears throat> Hello? <laughs> you got to break him in, you, you know. You can. You got to take him on the road, dry him out. <laughs> Can't yeah, bring no. him on the big time, and then right, you know, right. sure. now I'm going to be in a place I've never been before in my life, Minnesota. Minnesota, beautiful. Minnesota, beautiful. Bloomington, Land. Bloomington, Minnesota. Land of a thousand lakes. Well, that's right. I'll be on a lot of lakes over there. A, uh, uh, a thousand, a thousand lakes. I'll be there. <laughs> and I'll be at the uh, Carlton Celebrity Club. Carlton Celebrity Club in Bloomington, Minnesota. Bloomington, Minnesota. <laughs> this place is so far out in the woods. My act's going to be reviewed in Field and Stream. Ah. 
understand the manager of the club is a bear. Right, bear. Remember that joke? Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> I remember them all. I, I'll be out there, but I keep uh, show business rough, though. You know is that, it really? Johnny. Sure. You know, that's why. That's, right. that's yeah. why just a hobby with me. I make my money at my regular job. You know? oh. I sing the national anthem at cockfights, you know, and I uh, make my money there. That's what I do. It all helps. It's a rough business, you know that. Yeah. Last week, my fan club broke up. The guy died. Ah. Oh. <laughs> But you meet all kinds of people. I met a guy in Vegas last week. I was working there. A wild guy from Texas. You know, wow. yeah, he has a big ranch down there. Mm-hmm. He told me in his ranch he has 60 hands working there. 60. All on him. Ooh, he's Ooh, a wild guy. He is. It's the gay ranchero, I yeah, guess. Yeah, that's right. You're all right, yeah, you know thank that? you. Yeah, I'm all right. It's a living. I yeah, shall yeah, walk. It's a living. You shall walk. I've got nothing planned. Yeah. And I, uh, uh, but sometimes I meet people, they act too classy. You know classy what I mean? people, yeah. Are. Like a lot of women, sometimes they act so classy. Like if a woman has to go to the bathroom, she never says, I'm going to the bathroom. She's, I'm going to powder my nose. Yeah. You know? I mean, if that's what her nose is, she's in a lot of trouble. You know? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of strange people out there. Yeah, strange people. I, I met a guy last week with a problem, strange though. Strange guy? Ooh, this guy no, he told me he had an affair with a girl three months ago. He's going nuts. He didn't know what to do. He told me what happened was the rabbit didn't die. It just stays in critical condition. You know? <laughs> brother, you know, everybody has problems. In fact, I was talking to my brother the other day, you know? And I, well, actually, I said my brother. He's my half-brother. Half-brother. Yeah. Well, we have the same parents. He's just that way. Oh, <laughs> And it's wild having a brother who's gay, I'll tell you that. Really? And I always kid him. I tell him in the family tree, he's in the section. You know? oh. Cruel, cruel, cruel Nah, everybody has problems, Johnny. You kidding? My, me too. My marriage is on the rocks again, oh, you know. Oh, my wife broke up with her boyfriend, you know. <laughs> no, my marriage has always been shaky, always shaky. The day I got married, that was a beauty. Everybody was crying there. During the ceremony, her mother cried. All the way to the hotel, my wife cried. She got undressed, I cried. I mean, everything. Was... <laughs> well, you your know, health, is, so... health is important. Well, some point. we'll get to that. We'll, you know, get, we'll, we'll get to health tomorrow. We'll get to that. Now, I got enough problems with my health. Enough problems with my health. What are some of your other problems? Kid. Oh, my kid, forget it. Will you? My kid's getting worse, you know. Oh, really? Oh, I don't talk to my kid. Oh, oh he's a mean kid. Mean, you, huh? Well, he put crazy glue in my preparation H. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my daughter, she's no bargain either, you know. I, in public school, she was voted most likely to conceive. You have a weird family. Uh, kids, they got to watch out for drugs, though. Oh, Ooh, I, I tell you, it's very bad. bad with drugs. So many kids are using cocaine. Cocaine is very big, you know. I mean, kids today, they don't want to read about Snow White. They want to shove it up their nose. Oh. You know? <laughs> kids, you know. There's always something. Yeah. New generation. So my yeah. dog, too. She gives me trouble. Your dog? Uh, yeah. I got a female dog, you know. Oh. I tried to mate her. She wants 50 biscuits. <laughs> Female's a female, no matter what the species, right? Every every day there's something, Johnny. You know, today's been a terrible day. Terrible day today. What happened today? I got up this morning, did my push-ups in the nude. I didn't see the (laughs) mousetrap. Yeah, I can't take the pressure, Johnny. It's bad for my health. How is your health? Oh, it's time for health. Tell health. health. You been to your doctor? My friend, Doctor Vinnie Boombach. Yeah, that's the one, Doctor Vinnie. Very bad. I'm not a kid anymore. I'm getting old. Yeah. I know I'm getting old. Well, my last birthday cake looked like a prairie fire. <laughs> you know how it is. I know I'm getting old. At my age, I want two girls at once, you know. Yeah. Yeah, if I fall asleep, they got each other to talk to. 
What's new with you? I assume you're through. <laughs> Unbelievable. That was the thing. Every time Rodney was on, he would do a set, you know, center stage, and then he'd come over to the couch, basically just do another set. Johnny would feed him. You know what I mean? As you just heard, Johnny would feed him lines. God, he was funny. Rodney Dangerfield was funny. Killed every time he was on The Tonight Show. Every single time. Jeez. All right. Carson Comedy Classics. We'll play more uh, tomorrow at around 2.30. And you can watch the Johnny Carson Show every night on Antenna TV. Uh, Great stuff. Okay, let's break here for some uh, weather, and then we're going to talk about completely uh, pointless inventions. We're also going to talk about ridiculous job titles as well. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Stands on golden sands and watches the ships that go sailing somewhere. Oh. Hello, Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. Live in the Skyline studio here till 4 o'clock as we are every weekday morning from 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. And then at 4, we head over to Bradley Place, the TV side of WGN, get some early morning news from that great team. And then the one, the only, the great, the legend, Bob Surratt, at 5 o'clock for your morning drive. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. The news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. All right. Uh, We're going to be talking about uh, pretty much useless products, useless inventions. But uh, before that, here's a, are you ready for this? A pair of Tokyo parks are attracting extra attention for their unusual new features, public toilets with transparent walls. The restrooms designed by uh, the Shiguru Ban Architects as part of the Nippon Foundation's Tokyo Toilet Project feature see-through walls that turn opaque when a user enters the facility and locks the door. I saw a video of this um, on Colbert. Uh, they, 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 They did a bit on it. It's just ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. Uh, the restrooms installed at the Yoyoji Fukamachi Mini Park uh, are designed to allow those in need of facilities to quickly determine their cleanliness and whether they are already occupied. These two things we worry about when entering a public restroom, especially those located in the park. The Tokyo Toilet Project's website states, the Tokyo Toilet Project. Yeah, that was my high school band. Mm-hmm. The first is cleanliness. The second is whether anyone is inside. The walls change from transparent to frosted uh, frosted opaque when the door lock is activated. This allows users to check the cleanliness and whether anyone is using the toilet from the outside, the the website says. At night, the facility lights up the park like a beautiful lantern. (laughs) Honestly, I I like the idea. Uh, I think it's kind of cool. Um I wonder, is it opaque from both sides? I don't know. Yeah. I've just seen, obviously, I've only seen it from the outside. Yeah. 
Users said remembering to lock doors is of extra importance since uh, a user inside the facility can't tell whether the walls appear transparent or frosted from the outside. There's your answer right there. Each of the two facilities includes a man's to- a men's toilet, a woman's toilet, and a mixed-use toilet. There you go. So you think it's a good idea to have transparent walls on your toilet? Well, insofar as that it's easy to tell if someone's in there. Like, there's always well, that kind of awkward moment where you're looking for someone's feet, you know, when you walk into a toilet. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you're going to use a stall, you're kind of like, oh, is there someone in there? And if they can't, you kind of can't tell, and you pull on it, and, you're, and someone is in there. And you feel kind of bad because they're just trying to do their if, business. If I'm and- in the, if I'm in a public restroom, in a stall, mm-hmm. and I'm like the only one in there, and then someone comes in, I immediately cough. Oh yeah, you gotta do the courtesy cough so that they know I'm in there. <clears throat> yep. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. The old clearing of the throat or the courtesy cough just to make sure, hey, I'm in here, dude. Yeah. And I might be a while. <laughs> <laughs> you ever been to Streeters? Streeter's Tavern? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, no, because you did the... It, it, isn't that where you met uh, Mr. Gilmore? Was it Streeter's? No, that was uh, O'Rourke's. Oh, never mind. But, you know, Streeter's, you go into the bathroom, mm-hmm. and I remember the first time I went in there, I was absolutely dumbfounded. You go and you you know, you know saddle up to the, uh, the trough. It's a window. It's a one-way, like, mirror. What the hell is that about? Yeah. Why would I want to look out into the bar as I'm trying? I had yeah. such a hard time trying to go to the bathroom. Because you, there was, it looked like there were so many people out there. Yeah. I felt like I was on stage. Yeah. And there I am, you know, with uh, how about the, how doing about my the bathrooms? How about the bathrooms uh, that have no doors on the stall? What? Have you ever, have you not, you've never been in a bathroom with no doors on the stall? No door on the stall. Yeah, meaning that you can't close the door to use the toilet. No, it's, it's, right. I just that seems counterintuitive. It's they exist. <laughs> so you could just you could be squatting there, and some guy what? walks by. Just kidding. yep. What's up? Yep. That seems criminal. Well, I just I I personally enjoy a certain level of privacy. When I'm in the I can't restaurant. stand to use public. I mean, I like the bathroom that we have here on the seventh clean, floor. Yeah, nice. It, when you, you, you can close the door, close the door. You're on alone there. in there. Yeah, and you, I'm, can, I'm, you, you lock the door in the dock. And when you lock the door, on the outside of the door, it says, it says occupied. Yeah, like in a, like in an airplane. Yeah, but uh, and it's a nice clean bathroom. Mm-hmm. You're in there by yourself. It's lovely. Yeah, I don't mind public ba- bathrooms most of the time, as long as they're clean. I, I, if yeah, I don't, I don't mind it. I don't mind it's a necessity, if I'm, well, you know? yeah, it is a necessity, but I don't mind it if I'm doing number one. Well, yeah, you then get I have issues after that. Yeah, you ever, yeah. you ever, yeah, because I had to, you know, do the the deed, <laughs> and I was at River East. Have you ever? Oh, at uh, AMC, River AMC East. River East. Yeah, my God, man, not a preferable situation. No, no, not at all. I mean, I haven't, obviously haven't been there in a long, 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 long time. Sure, but I used to go there. You know, when I did, when I had my Friday night show, I would go to AMC. I'd see three movies before I came in, mm-hmm. and I spent a lot of time at AMC, and you know, obviously use the bathroom frequently. And not they they don't upkeep it very well. Nope. So towels, <laughs> wet towel. You know, the little towels that come out mm-hmm. you use to dry your hands crumbled up on the floor. They overflowed the garbage can with the with the towels overflowing. Yeah. I remember when I worked in a movie theater, there was one time 
where I, I you know, you, you walk theaters, make sure everybody's behaving, no one's on their phone, right, kindly tell right. them to stop and You work at the 400. Yeah. Um, there was one time <laughs> I go and I walk, I walk past the bathroom and I, I smelled that smelly smell of, uh, of marijuana. Ah, yes. And, uh, I was like, Somebody what? was blowing weed in the bathroom at the 400? Yeah. And I was Come that, on, that, man. It's dead serious. And I go in there and there he is and he's like got he like tries to hide it and I'm like, "What are you t- it stinks to high heaven in here, man." And I'm not trying, you know, I'm non-judgmental when it comes to that sort of thing. You know, you do what you got to do. But I was like, but not why? In, the, in the theater bathroom. Well, that's why I asked him. I was like, why the bathroom? And he's like, well, I didn't want to do it outside. I guess I got caught. I was like, and you thought you weren't going to get caught in here? What if you set off a fire alarm? Yeah. And you thought, oh, like, well, what if the cops come? The cops might come now, dude. Yeah. He's like, listen, I've got uh, I've got neuropathy. I was like, I don't care about the reason why. I don't care that you're smoking weed. I care that you're blowing weed inside the bathroom. Yeah. Of all, I would have let you out the back, man. It's whatever. We're not trying to judge. Yeah. Good lord. That's just stupid. Yeah. So public bathrooms, boy, they're fun, huh? Good times for everybody. Yeah. But now you can see. You can clearly see in Tokyo. There's a oh, there's see a man right in there. There's somebody in there. Just better hope it doesn't malfunction. Yep. They would see us running after Edward Herman. <laughs> All right. Uh, we have some useless uh, products and useless inventions. We're going to talk about that. 312-981-7200 is the phone number uh, if you want to join us uh, with useless inventions and products that you can buy. It's so much fun. All right. Let's get to the news. Right. Hi, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio here till 4 a.m. as we are every weekday uh, morning, night, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. 4 o'clock, we head over to Bradley Place to the TV side of WGN, get some uh, early morning news from them, and then the great Bob Surratt at 5 for your morning drive. 312-981-7200 is the phone number on the Team Hochberg phone line. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, inventions that are completely pointless. Things that are completely, completely pointless. Uh, here's what it says. Have you ever stayed up too late watching an infomercial selling uh, a useless product? You ever order a stupid product on the uh, from the infomercial world? Mm, I don't know about the infomercial world. I'm trying to think. Because uh, now it's really like Instagram ads and stuff like that. Or Facebook ads, they try to sell you a, lot, a bunch of crap. Yeah. Well, there's an infomercial on right now. <clears throat> What's it trying to sell? Um, it's a. It's called Uncommon Seed. <laughs> that was my adult film star name. I think it's. Uh, I actually think it's sort of a. It's a. It's a. It's a book, a religious book that uh, was supposed to help you through your life. Okay. Okay. So I. I. I'm honestly about. I don't know, two days away from buying that presidential chess set. Yeah, that's pretty special. It's it's kind of cool. It's pretty special. 
It's kind There's of a full half-hour infomercial. A full half-hour. A full half-hour infomercial about the presidential chessboard. You know, you know what? My, I'll tell you. My mom bought something really stupid. It was uh, maybe not stupid, but kind of useless. It was that uh, big map of the United States. Remember when they started putting the state coin, you know, the state quarters? Yeah, that was like what 1999 ish, somewhere yeah. around like the turn of the century. Um, it was it, it was the map. She bought it so that I could collect all these quarters. And I was like, okay, that's cool. So I started putting in the quarters in the map for each state. For each state, yeah. And that was it. And I would look at it. I was just say to myself, "Cool, I guess." I had no strong feelings towards it. She spent like you know probably 30, 35 bucks on it plus shipping and handling. That was it. I uh, <laughs> I got drunk uh one night which is a shocker considering yeah, QVC. Huh? I used to drink a lot. But I got drunk and I ordered two buckets of Quick and Bright. What's Quick and Bright? It's a cleaner. It's like a <laughs> it's a tub of like you take it it's a concentrated like uh paste that that uh, you can put you mix with water and it can clean floors and walls and- i'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna take a shot in the dark here that quick was spelt k-w-i-k i can't remember yeah i can't remember it was quick and bright quick and bright what possessed you you just thought i was hey. drunk i was drunk and i was right. watching it and they, they were showing all these amazing things that quick and bright could do <laughs> i'm on my couch loaded and i was like i think i had about a I could clean and my so, floors. So I ordered it, uh, and I ended up with two buckets of Quick and Bright that that were used. I, one of them was used once. They were under. <laughs> I remember when I moved out of the apartment because this was when I lived in Andersonville, right? And right. when I moved in with Heather, um, when we first moved in together, and I uh-huh. moved into her place, um, they were still there. They had to have been sitting under that sink. I lived there for thirteen years. I lived in that apartment for thirteen years, and they that the Quick and Bright was probably under that sink for about. Seven of those years, seven or eight of those years. See, I would have assumed that you would have bought, like, I don't know, uh, maybe a back scratcher of some sort. I don't or know why. Somewhere. I mean, I have no idea. I was loaded, and I was like, <laughs> and I watched the infomercial, <laughs> and I was like, very impressed with what Quick and Bright could do. Good for you, Quick and Bright. Well, well, you did use it at least once, correct? Well, yeah, I used it once, but you know, what did it make a noticeable I cleaned, difference? It, it, I, cl- I cleaned the, the kitchen sink with it, and it was fine. It worked. But not better than uh, what scrubbing bubbles yeah, or I don't know. something else it was certainly not you know the magical item that I thought it was when I was watching the infomercial. Well, they do a really good job of selling it of uh, any sort of product. I mean, think of how how many people bought a snuggie. You know, Decker, Just, De- Decker did buy one. Yeah, but uh, they were uh, they were impressed just on the presentation alone. Hell, I got close. Lots of people bought Snuggies. It's a very popular item. But I don't think it falls into useless because it does do what yeah. it works as advertised. It's, it's a blanket with sleeves. Yeah, pretty much. A slanket. A sl- that was the competing. <laughs> that was the Snuggie competitor. Slanket. This is a terrifying sounding thing. How about this? Friend of mine years ago, buddy of mine, comes home. He got cut. He was a, he was a waiter. Mm. So, of course, because he was an actor. He's a waiter. He was a waiter. <laughs> so he lives with his he lives with his girlfriend. Okay, he gets cut early from his shift. He comes home. His best friend's sleeping with her. He comes home, catches his best friend with his with his girlfriend. 
Okay. So, obviously, this is horrendous. Like, in one fell swoop, he loses his best friend and his girlfriend. Um, and so, you know, he obviously made her move out. And uh, he was, you know, uh, he was depressed, obviously. I mean, that's horrifying. You know, you come home, your best friend is, is, is having sex with your girlfriend in your bed. So, um, he was going through, you know, the bad times. And I was there with him. Going out to the bars, boozing it up, you know, keeping them company, that kind of stuff. It's what your friends do when you go through that kind of crap. That's, you know, or at least that's what we did. We went out and drank. <laughs> went out and drank. That's one way of coping. Which of, course, which, of course, it helps the situation a lot. Yeah, I got an idea. I'm really depressed. Uh, horrible thing is happening. Let's go. Uh, let's go. Let's go drinking. So, anyway, he was drunk for probably, like, it's like a month straight. He was just loaded. You know, he'd go to work, he'd wait tables, and he'd just immediately just go out and get 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 blasted. And again, it's a traumatic thing. You know, you come home and you you know sure sure sure. So he was he would get drunk every night. Like he'd fall asleep on the couch, he'd pass out on the couch, and he'd wake up. You know, like in the morning or whatever, and be like, you know. So one day he wakes up, he goes down to the lobby in his apartment building, and there's a big box in the in the lobby by the mailboxes and it's addressed to him and i was like and he was like what the hell is this so he brings it back upstairs and he opens it and it's every girl's gone wild dvd <laughs> <laughs> like the complete collection he got loaded doesn't remember it mm. and ordered every single girl's gone wild dvd and you know that he called up, he was drunk, and you knew that the guy on the other end upsold him Oh, sure. because he was loaded. He heard him like, oh, this guy's drunk. I'm going to get him to buy the entire set. And he bought the entire, he had ordered the, doesn't remember it, but was like depressed, laying on the couch, watching Girls Gone Wild, going, ah, need the Girls Gone Wild. Guy on the other side of the phone, she's like, listen, you can't just get the college No, you got to get all of it. Listen, I got spring break 08 so, through, oh, you know, through yeah. 10. So he, I mean, he, special. You know, he did, they didn't go to waste. He did watch them. <laughs> but but he doesn't remember. He came down, and there's this big box full of full of Girls Gone Wild DVDs. I feel like that could have been a New Yorker piece where he just writes, you know, a, a, you know, a kind of comprehensive it's guide a, to the world of Girls Gone Wild. Yeah. Jesus. It's a cautionary tale. I just like that. You can't just, you can't just not, get the wild in Cabo. You got to get do, do not Cabo get, Do not get loaded and watch infomercials. I believe that's the message. <laughs> yeah, no. No, that's how they get you. Exactly. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we've got uh, completely pointless uh, items and inventions. And if you want to jump in, if you've ever ordered something stupid uh, during the middle of the night during an infomercial, and <laughs> 312-981-7200, I think we've all done it at some point. But yeah, the entire collection of Girls Gone Wild just shows up, and he's like, "Where the hell did this? Where did this come from?" All right, uh, it's Nick DeGilio on WGN. All right, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We are uh, live in the Skyline studio. We're here until um, 4. 
and then we'll head over to Bradley Place, the TV side of WGN, and uh, get some uh, early morning news from them, and then the great Bob Surratt at 5 o'clock every weekday morning, 5 o'clock, he's your morning drive. 312-981-7200 if you want to join us. Uh, here's Robert on WGN. Go ahead, Robert. How about the Sham Wow? Yeah, no, n- did not order the Sham Wow. Oh, my goodness. And then when you actually need it, you, you can't find it. You can't. <laughs> You've misplaced, so, you've misplaced the Sham Wow. Does it work? Yeah, it works. And then my nephew sent me a mouse holder one Christmas. Uh huh. Talk about a worthless invention. A mouse, you know, for your computer. Well, when you're not using the mouse, you can put it in the holder. That makes no sense whatsoever. That's called a worthless invention. It's true. But they sold. Yeah. So, again, you know, go All right. figure. All right. Thanks, Robert. God bless America. Take care. Right? And yeah. thanks so much to WGN for getting us through all this stuff. We appreciate you, Nick. We all right. really do. Thanks, Robert. Appreciate it, buddy. Take care. Yeah, Vince Offer. He's got the, uh, you're going to like my nuts. You're going to love my nuts. <laughs> That's that chopper thing, right? Isn't that the choppy chop? Yeah, the slap chop. Oh, the slap chop. Yeah. That's right. Slap chop. You're going to love my nuts. Vince Offer. <laughs> Didn't he go to prison he got for p- slapping a prostitute? Well, they, they, they busted in his hotel room, and he had like a prostitute in there and some cocaine and so he did. Yes, he did get. Bu- I don't know if he slapped the prostitute, but I know he got. Bu- he, you know, he got busted. Mm. Vince Offer, man, how long has Billy Mays been dead? A while. God, nineties probably. No, he died later than that. You think late nineties? I was thinking not late nineties. He died in two thousand nine. Oh, did he really? Yeah. Wow. What was he? What was he? <sighs> OxyClean. OxyClean. That's which is right. like a legitimately great product. Yeah, I love Ox. I use it for my laundry. I've what's got the, the spot stain thing. What's you the know? Uh, the item now that uh, where they put a hole in a boat? And oh, then, uh, Flex Seal. Flex Seal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a but a great product. I have Flex Seal. It's no, great. I I, yeah, I don't doubt it. I mean, it but looks. The, it's, but the commercials are ridiculous. Where he's just like, who is the guy? Oh, Flex Seal Man. Didn't um, they, but don't they didn't they make an actual whole boat out of it? Yeah. Like it was an entire amazing. an entire an entire like motor boat was made yeah, out was, of the same material as Flex s- s- Steel or Flex Feel. Oh yeah, Phil Swift. Phil his name is Phil Swift. Phil Swift. <laughs> Flex Seal. Flex Seal and Flex Tape. He's got the tape oh, too. Oh, that's right. Because the flex seal is like a kind of like a concrete sort of thing. So know? the flex tape is that the, the where they show people hanging up shelves and stuff like that using it. Yeah, you can peel it off the wall and it won't exactly. And it won't leave. It's kind of like uh, one of those. Uh, what's it called? The uh, 3M things. Yeah, you know. So it won't like leave yeah, residue, leave residue behind residue. or take off the paint or anything like that. Right, right, right. And then it put, fix a hole in your boat. That's that's the most amazing. I think it it wasn't flex seal. It was flex tape that they made an entire boat out of flex tape. Yeah, that's I knew that they made it. They they made an entire boat out of one of the products. I just couldn't remember what it was. But I have to say, what's his name? Phil Swift. Phil Swift. (laughs) It's just ridiculous. Oh yeah, and then they do the. they they did it with a uh, 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 a truck too, where they lined the bottom of a truck. And drove it into the water and didn't get any water in. 
Uh-huh. They're just trying to find new and inventive ways to not get water to show into you, your... To show how the flex seal works. <laughs> All right, we have useless products. How about this? The car exhaust grill. This is a, 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 this is a brand that comes out of Iran. This invention allows users to make nice, savory burgers with car exhaust. Uh, the makers say the fumes stay away from the burger, but really, is it worth the risk? Plus, if you don't have the time to make a burger, but you do have the time to uh, use an ignorant device like this, uh, you need to reprioritize your life. The car exhaust grill. Nothing I, nothing I like more than to, to smoke my burgers with car exhaust. Uh, here's John on WGN. Go ahead, John. Nick, do you remember those little satellite dishes that uh, they used to advertise? The little plastic things, and uh, uh, um, now, okay, now they they like advertise a little gold strip that you can test your TV, and you can get all these um, uh, over-the-air channels. But they yeah. used to be like a little plastic satellite dish that was made in China, and uh, uh, they they claimed it could pull in a whole bunch of um, cable channels. But the thing that absolutely did not work. I don't remember that. Oh. Uh, um, the other thing, uh, one time I was living in Iowa City and I saw an infomercial for Olivia Newton-John. And uh, they had a greatest hits collection by him, too. And I ordered it. And it came within about two or three days. Okay. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I don't know why. I, I mean, Talk about effective advertising. I mean, they, they um, did a really, really slick uh, video of her doing physical and stuff like well, that. Well, yeah, that, that's enough to get you to order it right there, I think. That's, that's why I ordered it. Yeah. I'm not a very big uh, Olivia Newton-John fan. I got the album. I thought, God, why did I order this? Yeah, now you got you got fooled. <laughs> All right, John, thanks, buddy. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. What about the avocado saver? The avocado saver. From Herald Import Company. Do you eat sandwiches with zombie avocado slices and fear they will uh, get up in the middle of the night and eat you back? Well, you can make sure your undead avocados don't try to kill you in your sleep with the avocado saver. It's meant to keep your avocados fresh, but there are so many alternatives people already have in their kitchen. Why do you want another uh, device to clean? The avocado saver. Uh, I've seen that. I've seen a commercial for that. How about air-conditioned shoes? What is that? I think it's sandals? <laughs> From Hydrotech, air-conditioned shoes provide extra fresh air in your soles. However, it's just a pair of shoes with holes in them. Not only is it not an upgrade sh- upgraded shoe, it's an incomplete product they are trying to pass as a luxurious item. They claim the product has unique filter technology. Yeah, we can put holes in our own shoes and not pay $75 for it. We'll admit, though, that the guy's smile in the photo almost had a soul. His grin is freaking huge. He's very happy to have his air-conditioned shoes. Well, I mean, there's no greater inconvenience in this world than sweaty feet. Don't they? Have, did, did, wasn't there a, a, a product, like a pair of shoes that actually had little fans in them? To cool off your feet? I don't know. 
So basically, Sounds the air conditioned shoes is just a, is it shoes with a bunch of holes in them. So it's shoes with holes in them. I have that now with my Converse. It's only because I've had these things for years. That's why they got holes in them. <laughs> air conditioned shoes. I mean, just the name of that item alone is ridiculous. I mean, why would anybody buy something with air conditioned shoes? <laughs> Jeez. Uh, all right. Have you ever uh, purchased something stupid? We got some useless products that we're talking about here. 312 981 7200. So uh, I'm trying to remember if I ordered, if I've ever ordered anything. I just remember the Quick and Bright. I got the, uh, what's it called? The uh, hard boiled egg desheller. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was you actually said, pretty helpful. You said that that works very well. It, it works surprisingly well. It's not perfect, but it works surprisingly well because I just, I've, you know, I'm really, I can't deshell my eggs. Why? What's so hard because about it? Because I have these horrible paws instead of hands and i just i I've, you know every time i see commercials for you know the the egg peeler or whatever it is yeah they always show you know you know how on those uh, on those infomercials they always show people like well you can't put your pots and pans away and then like 800 pots and pans fall out of the yeah the cabinet <laughs> she's trying to put a pot away and 500 <laughs> things come flying out of the cabinet <laughs> or the guy that knocks over like a 50 gallon you know, a bowl of Cheetos yeah. just onto like, the floor, oh, and then the uh, and then um, <laughs> but the, that one with the egg, where the yeah. egg, the egg peeler thing, yeah, they show someone like at the sink trying to peel an egg and ripping it in two. You know what I mean? Like it's like not, like our hard boiled egg is being ripped apart, like scrunched in their hands. Like, well, first of all, that's not how you peel an egg. You don't smash the egg in your hand. And they're always you know like, how hard it is to peel an egg. Yeah. <laughs> try to put the try to put those pots and pans away in your cabinet. <laughs> Are you unable to open your bottle of soda without getting covered in pop? Yeah, yeah. It's impossible to do the mon- mundane things unless you get these items. Trouble yeah, the, getting your underwear on in the, the morning. <laughs> the the peeling of the egg. I remember just like watching it going. What what are you doing? Like they're ripping the the shell apart and smashing the. It's a hard boiled egg. They're ripping it apart. Like oh, you know, and they're all frustrated. Like I can't. Oh, this egg. It's so difficult to peel. Are you tired of sitting down to poop? Oh God. All right. Uh, let's uh, take a quick break here for some uh, weather, and then we'll come back and talk more about these useless items. Yeah, Def Leppard, baby. All right. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Live in the Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock as we are every weekday morning, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. Tom Hush, my producer. We're talking about uh, useless items and infomercial items that maybe you got seduced into buying. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Here's Carrie on WGN. Go ahead, Carrie. Hey, morning, Nick. Uh, hey, hey not, not, not why I called, but you, you just reminded me of something really, really important. Um, talking about the eggs, you know, diamond is the hardest surface on earth. But ten years later, you still can't cook an egg on it. That's right. And then that stupid commercial was they were throwing chickens on on her hand, and it was bizarre. Yeah, <laughs> whatever pan they were selling. Yeah, but um, but yeah. So I, uh, 
Yeah, I, I got duped. Um, I, I bought a can of the Flex Seal last week, actually, because I had a hose that was leaking, a couple little pinhole pricks in it, and um, I said stuff looks good. So it wasn't it wasn't the roller kind that the guy builds a boat out of. It was like a spray can. Yeah. Uh, I, I did. I followed the directions. I let it dry. As soon as I turned the hose on, not only did it leak water, it sprayed all the black Flex Seal stuff all over me. So that didn't work. Oh, jeez. Um, um, but I, I think the roller stuff might work better, but you know, it's harder to use. Um, and then um, I, I did get duped one night at two in the morning. And I, I, I believe it or not, I, I wasn't actually drinking, but for some reason, I thought one of those induction burner things would be a good idea because I cook a lot, and you could you could you allegedly can boil like four quarts of water in like ninety seconds or something. And I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. So I bought one. And of course, it, it, it doesn't do what they say it does. And I have two stoves in my house, so I'm like, this is I, I use it once, and I'm like, no, that doesn't work. Yeah. Um, but then the, the the original thing is, you know, where we all got hooked. If you're of, of our age, is any Ronco product? Well, sure. Um, I was trying I was trying to explain this to somebody younger. I'm, I'm 52, and I was trying to explain this to somebody much, you know, not much younger, but in their 30s who who wasn't in the heyday of the Ronco stuff. And I was trying to explain the smokeless ashtray. And the glass roster and the decorator and yep. the pocket fisherman and they're like, no, that didn't exist. I'm like, no, this did. It was yeah, huge. no, they were all real. They were all real. Uh, they're all real, and yep. we all bought them. You know? Yep, no question about it. All right, yep. thanks, Kerry. Yeah, those Ronco products were ridiculous. You know, you'd watch like I would watch. You know, like um, you know, like Channel Thirty Two. You know, ten ten thirty at night, and you'd like like the honeymooners. You know, or Benny Hill or something, we would watch. And the commercials would be those ridiculous, like the smokeless ashtray. You you familiar with the smokeless ashtray? I can't say I am because that doesn't really make a whole lot of a smokeless it's ashtray. A, it's an ashtray with like a dome over it. You put the cigarette in there and it's got like a vacuum that sucks the smoke up. The smokeless ashtray. That just seems excessive. Well, it's, it's also very stupid. But yeah. people people bought it. I bought I bought a pocket fisherman for my dad. Well, I mean, those that's like the little video game, right? The pocket fisherman. No, or? it's a fi- it's a fishing rod. Oh, and just go just it's it's like really small. You can hook it onto your belt. Okay, and it has a handle, mm. and you can extend it out, and <laughs> you can fish with it. And, and then you're done. You collapse it and you put it back on your belt. And it didn't work very well. No, <laughs> the pocket fisherman. Pocket fish. These commercials were on constantly. Like you couldn't sure. get away from. Them. Couldn't get away from. Them. Of course. Um, I also remember that when Elvis died, mm-hmm. um, every other commercial was for an Elvis collection. Yeah, like a like an album. And I don't know. You know, I guess the rights to his songs were all over the place because there were a whole bunch of different companies. You know, that were doing you know gospel songs from Elvis, and it, you could not get away from when he passed away. August of seventy seven. From that, from that, like week on, nonstop Elvis mail in commercials for albums. Just you know, really trying to to take advantage of uh, of the situation. Yeah, I've always I've always had a sweet sort of affinity for the Time Life albums, like the Time Life CD collections. You know, two hundred songs on fifteen yeah. CDs or something like that. Yeah, and uh, you know they used to have these albums that that you know like because you get like hits, you know, like that those now albums now. Yeah, now that's what, what's it called? Now it's a hit. Now, now that's what I call music. Oh, now that's what I call music. Volume ninety or whatever it is now. Yeah, they're up there now. They're up there. Well, they used to have these you know greatest hits collections or or 
you know, top song collections, and then you would get the album, and it wouldn't be by the original artist. It would be just some sort of terrible generic studio band doing a version of the songs. You would get duped. That's why, at one point, um, they made a point uh, in the commercials of saying original artists. Like, they went out of their way, right. and it was on the album that said original artists, because people were getting ripped off. Like, they would order these... Sure. They would order these albums. I it happened to me once. I ordered the album, and it wasn't the original artist. It was just some awful, like, goofball studio band that they hired, probably paid 50 bucks to basically murder these hit songs. And then, you know, you end up paying five ninety nine or something for the album and a complete ripoff. Um, you know, and you never listen to it because it's like, wait a minute, why, why do I want to listen to this terrible band that can barely play the song but yeah they get you they get you it's all huge hits an album full of all of today's hits and then you get it and it's just some terrible band covering them how about the ipotty p-o-t-t-y ipotty from cta digital the cta digital ipotty is meant to make potty training less of a chore for kids however the whole idea is nasty and unnecessary you know your kids are going to get crap out of going to get crap on your technology this way. Uh, what kid needs to be entertained even when he's on the crapper? How about the shoe umbrella? The shoe umbrella helps helps your feet stay dry from the rain. It also takes waterproofing way too far. The shoes look ridiculous and they're not worth it. You will get soaked by the jokes that will undoubtedly shower you on the street by gawking strangers. So this is actually. A little umbrella that covers your your shoe, like so. It's an umbrella. You're walking around with umbrellas on your shoes, little umbrellas on your shoes. That's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Would you walk around with umbrellas on your shoes? Well, you the size of your feet, you need a regular umbrella. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. Uh, look at the size of that guy's feet. Look at the look at the feet on that guy. Uh, here's uh, Trucker Rich. Hi, Rich. Hey, Nick. Hey. One year at Christmas, we had like the white elephant gift gift in our exchange. Yeah. And my wife got an in the eggshell scrambler. Do you remember that? Oh, absolutely. Gadget? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we tried it once just out of grins and giggles, and we realized it was a whole lot easier just to crack the egg and whip them in a bowl. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's another thing. It's like, what? What is the? What's? How difficult is it to scramble an egg? Do we really yeah. need? Do we really need another device? Do we need a device to scramble an egg? It's called a fork. Yeah. It's a fork. Get right. a fork and a bowl. Yep. That's that's. that's and then- and then another useful thing that's still around, like in military-style boots and work boots, they've got them vents on the side that supposedly lets moisture out. Yeah. When you're, well, it also lets water in if you're anywhere near water. Yeah, exactly. Like if it's ra- if it's raining so, out, that's not a very good product. No, yeah. no. Uh, and, all, and all our military boots are like that. You know. Yeah. yeah. All so, right. Thanks, Rich. Uh, yep. Yeah. Have a good one. All right. The egg scrambler inside the eggshell. Egg scrambler inside the eggshell. I mean, seriously, what are we what are we talking about here? And it's a thing, right? It's like a little needle, right? It goes into the top. Mm-hmm. You, you put it into the egg, and then you press the button, right? Yeah. Why would what? Crack the egg into a bowl. Get a fork. It's really easy. Mm-hmm. Season it. Yeah, 
A little milk, maybe. You know, I I can't do I can't do that for scrambled eggs. I don't like to do that. Hey, make them a little fluffy, man. I'm I'm a purist. Hmm? Well, you know how I feel about uh, milk. I'll put milk yeah, in right. anything. I've seen you put milk. Yeah, in- I'm like I'm like Laverne DeFazio with yeah. the Pepsi and the milk. Yeah. <laughs> you remember that? I don't remember, but I've, I know she used to drink about. milk and Pepsi. Mix them. Good lord! That was that was Laverne's. Uh, you to to Shirley's disgust. <laughs> yeah, that's what she used to do. Yeah. Pepsi and milk. Now you're you're single handedly putting uh, deans through uh, co- you know kids through college. At yeah. This point. Yeah. Didn't they file for bankruptcy, deans? Sounds like you need to drink more milk. I think they filed for bankruptcy. Uh, they they used to have those little ones that you could get in like a Seven Eleven Dean's milk chug. Yeah, a little plastic container. Yeah, a little plastic container. That's not enough milk for me. You're a whole gallon guy. I want to I want to drink an entire gallon of milk a day. I can picture you walking into like a Seven Eleven. You know, well, you're just they're a, out of milk. A jewel. You walk in, you grab a gallon, and right in front of the clerk, just just start guzzling. Yeah, throw, it's still throw one of two dollars at him. Still one of my favorite moments in in uh, in Anchorman. Milk was a bad choice. Ah, oh, it's so hot. <laughs> So hot. Milk was a bad Milk choice. Milk was a bad choice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a glass cage of emotion. The bad man kickbuster. We are laughing. <laughs> Bark twice if you're in Milwaukee. Got it, uh, Jack Black. On. <laughs> he boots the dog over the <laughs> over the bridge. <laughs> that is a funny movie. this song i love the thompson twins there's nobody in the band named thompson and there are no twins <laughs> i feel lied to <laughs> yeah i love that song uh I, i'm a huge i'm a huge thompson twins fan lies 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 yeah i love them uh saw them twice on that 84 tour Oh, they were they're good. Hey, it's Nick DeGilio. What are you doing? Get up. <laughs> we're here till four. Then we head over to Bradley Place, uh, our Channel Nine guys, and uh, they'll give us some local news, and then we'll uh, come back. And uh, Bob Surratt will be here. Uh, so here is uh, Terry on WGN. Go ahead, Terry. Hey, Nick. Good morning. How are you? All right. What's up? Hey, I don't have an actual product that I purchased, but in the spirit of you know products that you can't do without and that are um, are clearly uh, a, a cut above whatever you're currently using, I, I know you're a Honeymooners fan, as am I, but I'm sure you remember the classic episode of Chef of the Future. Oh, sure. When uh, Ed and uh, Ralph were on TV trying to sell this thing with a, you know a skate key, right. remover, right. Uh, fish scaler—I forget what it was—but um, it was all this in the vein of you can't do without this product because it's going to replace all these things. And then when Norton goes through all the exercises of what the old products are, they're clearly superior to whatever. Well, uh, I mean, that's the whole—it's the whole Corey Apple. Can it Corey Apple? Oh yes, it can Corey Apple. <laughs> And then he's like, okay, well, I'll do it the old-fashioned way. Zip, zip. 
And then he's like, okay, he's done. and he's done. I don't, I don't. Yeah. And then uh, I like it when they were, when they were rehearsing before they actually shot the commercial and they're rehearsing and, um, um, uh, Ralph gestures and all of a sudden something flies off of the, <laughs> the thing and he goes off camera and picks it up. And he says, Hey, maybe we ought to say something about spearfishing. Uh, and that he, had to be completely improv. No, completely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. all right. Thank you. Stuff. Thank you, Terry. Right. Thanks, Nick. Bye. Yeah. See you, That's the great thing about the Honeymooners is that, is that uh, uh, Gleason never rehearsed. Never rehearsed. And he went in cold. And, like, there were signals that he had. Like, if he went up on a line, like if he couldn't remember what was come, what, what the, the next beat was or the next line was, he would, like, touch part of his – he would, like, touch his lapel – or he'd have like his hand or something like near his chest to give whoever's on stage with him, whether it be Joyce Randolph or you know Art Carney uh, or Audrey Meadows, uh, a sign. It's like, hey, I don't know what's next, and then they would have to feed him a line. But he never rehearsed. He would, he would, he wanted it to be fresh. And you can feel that when you're watching the Honeymooners, it feels unrehearsed. You know what I mean? It feels, it, it's got an improvisational quality to it, which is yet another reason why I love it so much. Uh, here's Glenn on WGN. Go ahead, Glenn. Hey, Nick, here's the thing. You know, the glue traps, they seem to catch everything but the mouse. Okay. True story. We come home one night where we see somebody broken in. You know, we search all the rooms. Everything's intact. But we go in the kitchen, and what do we see? The burglar stuck right there on the glue trap. That's <laughs> about Get out of here. <laughs> all right, Glenn, thanks. Uh, how about the breast cushion? Uh, beg pardon? From the Cush Company, the breast cushion. Ladies, do your breasts fight each other when you're <laughs> fight each other when you're sleeping? Make sure they stay apart with the breast cushion. <laughs> the maker claims that the cushion helps preserve the spacing between each fun bag. It sounds like an excuse to get money out of dumb people, but if you bought one, maybe it's a display of survival of the fittest at play. How about the man bra? Well, that's Frank Costanza and uh, mm-hmm. Kramer. The, the man's ear. Yeah. The bro. The bro. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's got to be one of the funniest shots. In well, when all they of come Seinfeld. in, when they come when in, he comes in, and, and there's his dad with a brazier, and on. they're dancing. They've got like ch- cha-cha music. Oh on. my god, it's too much. It's hilarious. It's too much. Um. Men, do your breasts fight each other when you're sleep- when you're sleeping? <laughs> so this product is to help men uh, who have man boobs because they form with excess body fat. If you're feeling insecure about your moons, why highlight them with undergarments? Uh huh. How about the goldfish walker? What? You know, I've been meaning to say that my goldfish could really use some exercise. He's, Do your fish ask you on a daily basis to take them for a walk? To take them for a walk? <laughs> well, now you can keep this. You can uh, you can with this goldfish walker, like you would a dog. You can keep your goldfish on a leash and tote them around the neighborhood. Although we wouldn't buy one of these, we'd pay to see someone lugging one around the neighborhood. So you're going to kill your fish? You're going to take your. <laughs> Take your fish on a walk in the neighborhood and kill him? Is that the idea? 
It's a very creative way to become a Aquarian serial killer. How about toilet golf? Have you seen this? You've seen this, right? Toilet golf is like what you sit on the crapper and yeah, it's a little like a little green and a, a little uh, a little club, and you can yeah. putt while you're pooing. <laughs> uh, everyone's thinking, why can't I take some shots with my nine iron when I'm on the when I'm on the John? Well, now you can with toilet golf. <laughs> What's your handicap number two? Oh God. <laughs> inventions like this one make you wonder who exactly came up with them. We want to meet the guy who said to himself that this was a good idea and it needed to be spread throughout the world. How about the walking sleeping bag? What? This sleeping bag allows you to walk comfortably while still maintaining inside the sleeping bag status. The makers probably thought uh, hopping looked silly. So they thought making a person look like a creature from the swamp would be more sensitive. The bag would be great for freaking the crap out of people, though. Would you get the walking sleeping bag? The walking sleeping bag. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say no. Probably not. How about uh, the wine glass holder necklace? Have you seen this? What? It holds your wine glass around, you your, neck. around your neck. Yeah. We have one question. Who drinks that much wine and doesn't have a table? <laughs> um, it's bad when your product's competition is in the market virtually flat, any flat surface whatsoever. The wine glass holder necklace also has to be making walking more difficult. We're all for booze, but this seems highly impractical. How about the privacy scarf? Isn't every isn't every scarf at some point a privacy scarf? On a certain level, yeah. Um, why would you need that much privacy when you're looking at your computer screen or your phone? Unless you found images of OJ's other glove, there's no need to be this discreet. And let's think about this. Uh, won't this only bring more attention to you? Wearing a privacy scarf will make people more curious about what you're reading. Hmm. Uh, the hair hat. <laughs> um, yeah, so there it is, the hair hat. So get your hair hat. Michael Jordan, Tay Diggs, Vin Diesel, I'll do it.